Hello everyone, your friendly neighborhood editor here. As last week was the final episode of our playthrough of Blades in the Dark, a playthrough that had a lot more raccoons and towels than I was expecting, we thought it would be appropriate to rerun our interview from a few years ago with John Harper, who, among other things, is the creator of Blades in the Dark. We hope that you enjoy it, whether you've heard it before or managed to miss it the first time, it's a fun time. And John Harper is good people. So, next week, we'll start our new campaign, which will be Vampire the Masquerade. So, get yourself prepared for more hijinks with maybe a little bit more blood? Probably less towels. Maybe less towels. I guess we'll all be finding out together. ...into uh, another uh, video output thing from that D&D podcast. Um, this one is a special episode where we will be interviewing uh, John Harper. Uh, so I guess let's introduce ourselves and then give him a large block of time to talk about himself and all the things he does. So uh, I'm Aaron. I do some DMing on various campaigns and uh, yeah. Go Zach. Okay. Hi, I'm Zach. I play in a lot of Aaron's games uh, and I have DMed a little bit. And I'm Andrew. Uh, you might remember me from DMing Blades in Gastown, which is why I'm slightly freaking out right now, um, <laughs> because that's John Harper. Uh, hi, I'm John Harper. I'm the author of Blades in the Dark uh, and other games. I'm broadcasting from the past, apparently, or from Duskwall, or I don't know what's going on, but uh, we're going to run with it, and I'll, I'll be old-timey tonight for uh, comedy's sake. <laughs> I think your webcam can just see into your soul. Yeah, that's definitely what it is. Uh, there, there are only two colors, black and gray. So this, the webcam did get that right. Uh, so I guess let's start off with um, with blades, since uh, that's the one that we're most familiar with. Um, so we've been kind of looking at you know different interviews other people have done, and we watched one that uh, that Adam Coble did. And um, he he kind of started off, and he he had three questions. So uh, here's the three game design questions: What's your game's What is your game about? What do the players do, and how are they rewarded? <laughs> uh, Jared Sorensen still yeah. haunting me to this day. Crush <laughs> <Yep>. uh, <laughs> you, Jared. <laughs> um, so I have a I have a opinion about these questions. You guys tell me what you think. Um, okay. I think they're great. Uh, I recommend them to designers all the time. I think they're very smart questions, um, especially and maybe only when you're developing the game. Uh, it's a good way to focus your thoughts and look for pitfalls. Uh, those the, the distinctions are very important, right? The what the game is about, what the characters do, um, how you're rewarded for it. There's a slightly longer set of questions that that parses out like. Uh, what do the characters do versus what the players do? And there's other ways to do it. Um, I'm not trying to get out of answering this question. Uh, I will answer it <laughs> if you want me to. But I think uh, I kind of feel like once the game is published and is out there in everyone else's hands, it sort of has to speak for itself, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, oh. Like I can I can answer those questions. As, but coming from me, it's, it's sort of like aspirational. Like, well, I hope it does this and I hope you're rewarded this way. Um, so I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but like I personally, I would be 
curious to hear your answers as people who've played Blades in the Dark and like have experienced it. I know what I was hoping for when I designed the game, but like hearing your thoughts as someone who isn't the designer uh, would be cool, I think. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, what? I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here and ask you, or assume that you believe in the death of the author. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, I, now I think th- th- I'm a little like not hardline about that. Like I think particularly in the community space and in the mentorship and fellow designer space, it makes a lot of sense to be much more involved and your opinions matter and your point of view matters more in that space. But yeah, like in terms of the player facing thing, the post-release life of the product, I think it has to stand on its own feet and be its own thing. Um, Definitely. Yeah. 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 Can can I turn that around on you a little bit? Sure. Have yeah. you ever gotten a chance to play Blades in the Dark? Yeah. Can run it for you? Yeah, but not nearly enough. Um, um, if you I, ever want to, you can come <laughs> hang out with us. Tell you what. Yeah, that'd be fun. I would like that. Uh, it, normally, I, I tr- I'm pretty conscientious about that when I'm developing something. I really want to be a player as much as possible because yeah. that's the main yeah. that's the main thing. You want to view from um, both sides of the fence, kind of. Yeah, in this case, the like primary local game group that was the playtest group for me at the beginning. Um, a couple of the people in that group are very; they play the way I do. They're very uh, aggressively kind of character driven and not uh, they're not risk averse. That that kind of style, you know they 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 want to dive in and punch the bad guys in the face and you know just really get very stuck in so i was like okay that's whatever dylan does is probably going to be mostly what i would be doing i think that's mostly okay um and then we got uh, somewhat uniquely with blades like the the way that the gm authority stuff functioned it started to be different and weird enough where i was like okay i need to i need to spend more time on that side of it i need to really focus but the downside was yeah i haven't gotten to play blades much at all so um I would love to. That'd be great. I, yeah, hit, hit, hit me up. Maybe we can schedule it. That'd be we fun. We have some serious character stories we can tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> I beat someone to death with the gate for a fortress. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, rage essence is a hell of a drug. It yeah, really it, it really is. It really uh, wow. Yeah, you gotta um, be careful with that stuff. So, sort of recentering. Uh, were your so the going back to the Jared's questions that you already talked about, you you weren't really into answering sort of post production. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. What what was? Did you have a different feeling about them having played the game? Like, were um, you, was your impression as a player different than your impression as a designer? No, no, it wasn't. Um, I think, at least from my point of view, again, like. I feel like I'm not the best person to talk about the game in this way, but (laughs) from my point of view, it, I think blades has a pretty high, like um, signal to noise ratio there. Like what, what the game says it is and what the mechanics focus on are, are pretty closely aligned. Like there isn't a lot of Mm -hmm. pretty much everything that you think you're going to do in being a crew of scoundrels, the game does those things and it doesn't really do much else. 
So I think for some games, it's harder to navigate those questions because you have a lot of different ways to approach it and a lot of different angles to attack it from. Blades is not nuanced in that way. It just goes, well, what do you do when you're criminals? And it gives you, it's very blunt. Um, yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You literally lay out the approaches available. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that and that was part of the main design goal for the game was to, it, because we've, as as gamers, I think all of us, but especially like Shadowrun players or or um, fantasy city D and D players, um, everyone's done that thing where you play a crew of, of criminals of some kind, of scoundrels, or you're doing heists or you're doing Shadowrun t- type jobs or whatever. Um, and we've all got a lot of experience making a game system work for that type of play and sort of bending it over to do that. So I thought, well, if for if I'm going to design a game about that, I should just take out the sort of the core system stuff that those games have that you're bending to to the heist game and just only build the heist game part. Uh, and then it ultimately kind of grew a little larger than that. But um, it was very much like strip it all down, just kind of make it worth ex- its own existence. Had to justify like, why don't we just use fate and run heist? Why don't we just right, use D right. and run mm-hmm. heist? Like yeah. it kind of had to justify its existence with just these very straightforward one-to-one connector kind of mechanics. Yeah. Um, it's definitely its own thing for sure. And yeah, it's not trying to do anything else, which, nope. uh, no. and I, and I think it's funny because that announced today, in fact, uh, the first like official forged in the dark, um, game based on blades is coming out uh which is like a super pulpy adventure space game um not dark and gritty and and brutal uh it, it strash and john have like created something very different using that system but i think it's the same type of mentality you know just it's mm-hmm. it's also stripped down just for pointing in a different direction um I, i've seen a number of um like hacks reskins and i mean just projects and games being developed with uh with that forged in the dark core and they all seem to share that sort of coherency or like singular minded design yeah um so do you think that like the core that you built there is why do you think it is i guess that everything that sort of comes out of blades in the dark and forged in the dark has that singular structure um i think Part of it is that thing we're talking about where there is the just direct, like what, what you're doing in the fiction, you have these, these mechanical building blocks, you're, you're on a job or you're in downtime. And then there's this little sort of vague free play thing on top of that, but it's pushing you into these different modes. And then the actions are the sets of verbs that are the things your characters are going to do. Uh, and so I think once you start hacking it, even if you change all the verbs to different verbs and you change the game phases to different phases, you still have that underlying skeleton of these of are phases and, and these are phases. And yeah, uh, so it, it, Adam and I talked about this. We did a, a talk a long time ago about hacking the game and came up with this idea that called the poetry layer of RPG design where you, you, you're, it's like a writing project. The, the, the skeleton stays where it is and you come in and you change the, the language component of the game, change this word for that one, change this verb for that one, call downtime, something else, 
give it a different purpose, but keep the same skeletal pieces uh, where they are. And I think most game hacking is like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. with some games, it's hard to see what your changes are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you create a new set of skills for your homebrew D and D game, like it's hard to see exactly how that's going to affect the game. Um, if you keep combat the way it is, and you just swap out your skill set, like how often are these going to come up? What what what's the range of DCs? What should it be? I don't know. Can I just bluff somebody with a diplomacy check, or is it you know what what's the deal? Uh, and blades is so, like I said, it's such a blunt instrument. It's very easy to make one change, just change prowl to traverse, and you go oh, okay. Well, that's I that's different now, and I know exactly how it's different. Uh, it's very very simple. Um, which th- that actually sort of nicely dovetails into uh, another question. Um, so the the twelve verbs in Blades do shape a lot of how players interact, and it's kind of also how they think about problems. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and reportedly, there's a number that changed many times through development. Uh, but I'd like to ask you the story of the murder verb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that was sad. Um. <laughs> For a long time, the game had murder and mayhem as as actions, oh, um, which are just so good. They I really mean, are. you really want to roll mayhem. That, yeah. That's just super fun and murder, super fun. Um, yeah. Yes, I have four dice in murder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Mayhem exactly. is an automatic two or three dice skill on every character, right? Oh, yeah. You got to have you got to have your mayhem. Mayhem turned into wreck. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was about to ask. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, for various reasons, nothing like super compelling on that one. Just it just sort of worked out that way. But with murder, um, everyone loved it. It survived from the very beginning of the game all the way. Well, not the very beginning, but almost the whole game to the Kickstarter version when we, when we launched. Because um, everyone just loved, of course. Like I'm gonna roll my murder dice, haha. Um, <laughs> and it was so good that it blinded us to the problem, which was. All, all of those verbs need to be things your character is doing, not outcomes you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And so murder was, I'm trying to kill a guy, but it didn't tell you what you were doing. Uh, so once we ha- realized that problem, everything had to shift to, it's not about your, what you're trying to achieve, it's about what your character is actually doing right now. And you can use an action for a wide variety of different goals. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you couldn't do that with murder. You only had one, one goal. Uh, with that, that, so that kind of sounds like the difference between intent and task in Burning Wheel. Yes, it is exactly that. Uh, Blades is people always talk about Apocalypse World when they talk about Blades, which they should. But um, I'm a big Burning Wheel guy, and uh, that game is a huge influence on Blades in every way, um, I, and the whole family, like uh, Torchbearer and Mouse Guard and um, Burning Empires, and I mean you can see it in Burning Empires, right? There's like the strict phases of play and Mm -hmm. uh, the way that you use your downtime and projects to do stuff. And that I'm pulling a lot of stuff from the burning wheel kind of family. Um, And intent and task is one of those things that it's, it's elucidated super well in burning wheel. Yeah. Nice. Um, Luke does such a good job of like training you in with the text and how to use his system to make those things function. And I was like, well, I'll, I can just do the same thing. um, But maybe I can also kind of trick you. Like I'll, I'll build it in, in a way that makes it sort of takes care of it kind of. Um, and you can't help, but kind of do the intent task thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So well, that was sorry. You Good, Aaron. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> you you were talking right. about uh, Kickstarter a few minutes ago, and um, I think we just passed an anniversary for you. Uh, it was uh, yeah. what Tuesday? It, it, you made a year since uh, the the campaign finished. Yeah. Uh, well, it it's been a little longer than that, but um, since the like kind of official. Oh, the the full release, like, I think. Like full yeah, release yeah, yeah, yeah. wrap up. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Kickstarter itself um, was it was a weird experience. It was awesome. Like the support was super great, uh, but it really was a um, a shift in in workflow and and like game design and thinking and everything. Because um, we we I say we back then it was pretty much just me, but. Um, I had, I was confident I had everything nailed down and the game was solid and ready to go. It was going to be like a third the size, uh, that it is. And, um, that was that. And then, man, Kickstarter was just such a great boon to the game. Uh, it changed everything. The, that bigger exposure led to a lot of people playing it that were outside of that indie little sphere. And, uh, things that we were so sure about in our own play testing that were so solid and, and straightforward. Uh, we were like, Oh, not everyone knows how to do that. We have to actually really like explain that. Um, and then once evil hat got involved, it, it just got so much better. Like they're, they're so smart about making a product and what's needed to, to sell a book and what should be in it. And, um, I'm always super minimal and try to like make everything very opaque and like, ah, figure it out. Uh, and they're the, kind of on the other side and they really brought a lot to that whole process. And, um, Sean and Karen in particular, uh, really like took what was there and gave me the tools to expand it out into a full thing. But, um, yeah, with that, we just hit that anniversary and it's been an awesome year. I gotta say, like. We won some awesome awards, and the support's been super good. Um, the sort of expanding fan base for it is really awesome. And yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I'm psyched. I'm not like super stunned. Like fantasy heists is a thing; people love that, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, I, if I was writing some weird like parlor drama thing or something, that that'd be different. But this was this is an easy sort of sell to gamers. Um, you want to be a cool thief? You know? Yeah, sure. Um, but even so, even so, I'm surprised. Uh, it's so so cool to see so many people playing it. I I love it. It's really well deserved. It's yeah. I've had a lot of fun jamming it uh, and playing in the one season that I've got to play in. It's you made a great product. And thanks. thanks. Hats off to you and everyone who helped you. Evil hats. And very off. yeah. Ooh. Evil hats off. <laughs> I See, no. I <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. uh, did I answer your question? I don't even. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was basically, you know, how do you feel on the, you know, the, the one year anniversary of the the project mm. being completed, and yeah. if if you had a chance to pass on uh, any advice to say another person who is where you were when you started the Kickstarter campaign. Like, what advice would that be? Um, work in the industry for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Obviously. Give away, give, give, away your best, give away your best work for free on your website. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, and then be an overnight success. That's that's yeah. all you got. That's all you got to do. Um, no, seriously, I think uh, and I've talked to Luke about this too. Luke Crane, who Burning Wheel, but also he works at Kickstarter. He's the he runs games at Kickstarter, the games uh, team, or he doesn't run it, but he's like one of the main people. Um, and there's uh, the the Kickstarter like mentality has shifted over time to these big splashy things like uh, Numenera or Seven C and these like giant kinds of successes and things, which Do are you want awesome. A giant plastic hand. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's great. It, it, it's good for the hobby. It, it's great for our whole our whole thing. Um, but I know that Kickstarter also really cares about and wants smaller projects and don't be, don't, don't my one piece of advice for Kickstarter would be don't feel like your project isn't deserving of Kickstarter because it's not some giant release or something. The smallest little project, no matter what it is, if you need $500, if you need a thousand, if you need 10,000, whatever your range is, that platform can help you achieve those things. And, um, I know some people kind of just don't think of it that way. They think of it for these big splashy projects. So um, if you get something that's almost to the finish line, you need to pay for art for your cover or you want to pay an editor uh, or whatever Um, going to Kickstarter can be, especially now because it's way past the point of having to explain to people what it is. Mm -hmm. And like back when dungeon world launched, you know, it was the idea of doing a Kickstarter for a game was still weird and new and, um, unusual, and now it's so much easier to uh, implement it for smaller things. So don't be afraid of doing that. Um, and also, uh, to, uh, Vincent Baker talks about this. Um, I think he's where I, that's where I learned it. Uh, the idea that your initial forays into tweeting about your game, sharing your playtest doc, uh, getting feedback on a forum, getting a response on Twitter. All of that is teaching you the potential marketing space for your product. If if you tweet about your game for week after week after week and no one cares, that doesn't mean you shouldn't make it, but it means you're probably not going to make any money from it. Um, it might it might be a very hard sell at least at least right now, right? right. Ten years from now, maybe it's different. Um, so navigate that space decide what you want for yourself you know do you are you doing this to make a product and make money and be in a business situation are you making the thing for your for your own personal passion or whatever um and let 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 the way that the community reacts to it and the kind of connections that you make be be your guide uh in how it might be received by a bigger audience later down the road definitely Excuse me, jeez. Whoa. I managed to go 20 minutes without doing that. <laughs> I was going to say that one beer is getting to you. Yeah. Um, so uh, in the book and in a couple other places I've seen you talk or read stuff that you've written, uh, you have sort of cited a really large and eclectic set of um, set of inspirations for blades specifically and then sort of your larger design process and thought process uh, in general yeah um to what degree do the things outside of gaming sort of influence what you design and do you consciously pull stuff from outside experiences yeah uh 
it, it a lot. They influence me a whole lot, uh, particularly with something like this. That's a genre thing. Uh, that's there's a lot of stuff in the genre um, from all different directions, from The Wire to Ocean's Eleven, uh, Thief and Dishonored, and just there's all kinds of different things. The Fawford and Grey Mouse or whatever. Um, there's a million different takes on this genre. So generally speaking, I think as a designer, I try to play into genre very heavily because I think it's a powerful tool in gaming. It lets you mm-hmm. get off the ground much faster. Yeah. Uh, Something like Lady Blackbird, you can say like, oh, it's like Firefly, Steam, but it's steampunk and also kind of Star Wars. And whatever you think when you, someone mm-hmm. says that is exactly right for Lady Blackbird. <laughs> you, you automatically understand mm-hmm. the game. You can't get it wrong at that point. It's all everything you think is going to fit that, that thing. That's not the only way to make a game, but for my own approach, I like to do that. I like to really lean on the pop culture references that are accessible to a certain segment of the audience and the genre expectations. Um, So often I will try to kind of program my subconscious to have stuff to chew on. Um, During the development of blades, I, I watched a lot of movies and stuff uh, and TV and played games intentionally to sort of focus on that. But like aside from the dedicated like work time playing Dishonored or whatever, um, just sitting at the computer writing, I had a Twitch streamer playing Darkest Dungeon on like mm. every day, all day. Um, not because that game is exactly Blades or anything, but just the atmosphere of it, the feel, the the language, the grind of it, the stress and trauma happening in the background. Like it was just feeding into my brain yeah. and giving me... Yeah. Six weeks later, I, when I'm writing something about a demon, I have some cool bit of evocative language that pops out that probably nice. was influenced nice. by Wayne June, you know, yeah. uh, saying <laughs> yeah. stuff. Um, so it's both. And I think, I think it's important. As a creator, I think you get this after you work for a little while. Like, the things have to incubate, right? You, mm-hmm. you, can, you can focus and do research and go, okay, how does, how does this work on Narcos? Like, how does the criminal organization... Escobar's thing. How did it operate? Who was in charge? What if you're a smuggler? What do you do? And it's very intentional. But then there's also that like unconscious stuff where you're you're seeding your your brain with imagery and language and ideas, and they bubble up later on in ways that uh, you don't really know exactly where it came from. But it's good to to load the cannon with the right kind of stuff and. Um, as a visual artist too, I, I, I'm always very cognizant. I try to put, I have my Hellboy uh, right there in front of me right now. Um, I try to put things in my periphery that are, are going to seed that because all of that stuff mm-hmm. is just constantly kind of programming you. So, oh yeah, cool. totally. yeah, definitely. It, it's a mix of intentionality and and not, but I, I take it pretty seriously to the point where like people recommend games to me, video games or something. And I'm like, I can't play that right now. I'm working on a different <laughs> kind of project. That's I got to awesome. wait. I, I'll do it later. Room. but I, yeah. I'm working on lasers and feelings. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to get into, I can't, I can't do it. Which, by the way, <laughs> fantastic name. Yeah. Lasers <laughs> and feelings is amazing. Well, that's not my name. Uh, that's, that's the double clicks. Uh, they, I, I, I stole that from them, but yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> I got a couple of quick follow, one quick follow up and one follow up that might be a little bit more substantial. So uh, in 
do you ever specifically go into other media that's like not games, like looking to mine keywords, mm-hmm. like to name things? Oh yeah, like absolutely. Your, your action words or your yeah, yeah. yeah when I was uh, this was like before the big final Crunchon blades, like probably I don't know a year over a year ago, maybe when when the first season of Nar- or second first or second season of Narcos was out. Um, uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, Allison and I were, we were obsessed with Narcos and like watched it, binged it to death. And she will attest like every <laughs> half hour, 45 minutes, I would pause, get up, walk over to my notebook, like write some, <laughs> write something down, go back, start it up again. Um, a, a turn of phrase or just a concept like, Oh, and mm-hmm. there should be an entanglement where they like grab one of your people and turn them against you. Like that should be a thing that has to be part of the game. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. A plus uh, entanglement as well. Yeah. That's it's really right. That, that's directly from that episode of Narcos where they do that. And I was like, <laughs> yes, that, that's going in the game. <laughs> uh, my other sort of probably longer maybe follow is, uh, I, I watched another talk that you did uh, where you basically you basically stated that one of the major differences between mainstream games and indie games, amongst all the other big ones, was that that mainstream or that indie games cite their sources essentially. <laughs> like they create bibliography, authors create bibliographies, designers like this is where this came from and what you should expect from it. Um, how does it feel to be in those bibliographies now? Um, it's great. I mean, that, that's the, that's, that's the thing. That's our hobby. At least the way I come at it. I, I started a little more in the main, slightly in the mainstream, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked on Talislanta and yeah, like Wizards. Feng Shui and mm-hmm. Everway Playtester and that, you know, wiz, early wizard stuff and that kind of thing. Blue, Blue Planet was my first actual like project that I worked on for gaming, but, um, not exactly mainstream. That's still kind of indie, but yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like traditional yeah. RPG style, I guess. Um, but then the cha- the real ch- changing point for me was running into the Forge in the late '90s, early 2000s, and meeting. I happened to be in Seattle, and Clinton Nixon, the co-founder of the Forge, happened to live near me, and Matt Wilson, who wrote Primetime Adventures, uh, I met him right at the same time, and that like Seattle gamer thing was happening. Uh, and those guys were, that was their deal. It, they were like this, this like art collective kind of, and it was all about promoting each other's work and, um, building on people who've come before you. So I forget who it was who started it, but it was, it was probably sorcerer. I, if I had to guess, uh, that had something in there like, Hey, here's my bibliography. Here's my ludography. And yeah. this, this is all the stuff you should play. This is all the stuff that I read when I was working on this. And, you know, even uh, Appendix M, like um, D&D, like Gary wrote all these, uh, Yeah, you know, you should read Tanith Lee, which thank goodness, because that's why I read <laughs> Tanith Lee. Um, but uh, there's, there's a weird, like, disconnect there when you cross a certain invisible line in the marketplace. Um, sometimes it makes sense from, I guess, a marketing and legal point of view i don't know if hasbro would be cool with listing a bunch of competitors products in your thing like i can kind of see why that maybe isn't the way it's done um but outside of that that space um 
it's all I, I can only see an upside to doing it i think it's it's it connects us all together mm-hmm. um and it we sell each other's games that way probably i'm sure people oh, i know yeah. i do you oh, fl- yeah. flip through and see like i mean like apocalypse world it credits talislanta you know it's even it going way, going way back uh so yeah i love it i think it's awesome and I, I try not to draw those distinctions too much. Like we're the indie people and they're, they're not, and we're different. <laughs> and I think we're all yeah. in it together. The hobby's small enough. We don't need to have those kind of divisions, but um, that, that is one, that is one key difference. The, the sighting of other games is a thing. Yeah. Cool. I mean, the hobby's small, but it does seem to be growing, especially oh, lately. And I yeah. think, and I'm not sure how much of that is, um, like Twitch streamers and uh, like people playing like Critical Role on YouTube is probably guilty of a lot of just a lot of new nerds who are rolling dice, which is awesome. <laughs> um, I, I I don't have the numbers. I haven't done the research. Um, I but yes, it almost certainly is the Twitch effect uh, plus the ease of playing online with each other, which used to be a real pain in the butt. And yep. still can be kind of a pain, but it's so much better than it used to be. Um, and also the the demystification of it to some degree, because there already were some, there were some podcasts, there were some uh, sort of live play recording stuff, but it didn't really have as much traction as some of the new stuff. And I think part of that is the it's the simplification of it you know that to some degree critical role is tough because they're brilliant voice actors and they're incredible storytellers and they mm-hmm. have a very high bar yeah. and it can be very intimidating from that point of view as a newcomer like oh my god i, I don't i don't know if i'm as good as matt mercer he's amazing or whatever <laughs> but yeah. from the other side of things and this is true of chris perkins too i think um the way they treat the game the game qua game of it like is this very light there's a very light touch uh and I, I think it's less intimidating from that angle it's not just constantly doing math and looking up things in a table and that that was always kind of the stigma of this our hobby i think was you have to learn all these rules and it's super complicated mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when you see people just sort of having fun and rolling dice and as a game designer it makes me cringe a lot because i'm like oh god ugh. <laughs> play the game um but as a as a way to expand the hobby, I think it's helped a lot to demystify it and to I just from personal experience, there's so many anecdotes I could share. I have a friend who went from never having played a role playing game or even really seen one, watching some critical role and role play, I think the old role play like um West March's stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, a total of maybe four or five sessions. Watched them on Twitch. And was like, I can do that. And then G- started running a campaign as the DM. Nice. Just, awesome. Just nice. bang. Like, had ne- didn't read the books yet. Just just was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. I see, I see what they're doing. I can do that. <laughs> Geronimo. Um, yeah. And that changes. I, I remember when we were kids, like, I, I'm in that generation that was too young to play with the first generation. They were all mm-hmm. older guys when I was a kid. So they didn't want us in, in their games. So we didn't get to play with the original like oral tradition. Um, we had to actually learn how to play D&D by reading Gary Gygax's text, mm-hmm. which is Oof. not a good way to learn anything. Uh, God bless him, that guy. What a... Jeez. Um, 
and so it was this like cargo cult, you know, like, I think this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we should supplicate the gaming gods. It says here that you do this. And, you know, the old timers would be like, what? No one does that. What are you, what are you talking about? Uh, so we learned through trial and error. And I think that created its own arm of the hobby leading up to vampire and that kind of stuff that everyone who kind of had to go their own way and figure it out for themselves. Um, and now you just you can just watch people do it whenever you want and <laughs> see exactly Jesus. how they do it. It's so uh, it's just it's fantastic. I, yeah, Gotta they're super them. lucky. Not only that, but today, both ways. yeah. <laughs> um, I was gonna say today you can not only can you get into the hobby easier, but you can like infinitely niche select your game. Yeah, you can be like, I want a game that's about 19th century servants in an English manor house that's like Downton Abbey, but also has magic. Like, there, there's a role playing game for that. <laughs> yeah. You can go and buy it and play it. <laughs> it's fifteen dollars on Drive Through RPG. That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Drive Through RPG. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. So, I mean, kind of on that thread, uh, you had a you had a thread on Twitter recently where you ha- mentioned having played, uh, I believe it was two hundred and forty six <laughs> different tabletop role playing games. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. Yep. Um, is there anything you'd want to highlight uh, again here, or anything that uh, spoke to you deeply? There are so many. Um, I think in that recommendations thread, I recommended. 70 maybe or something like that 60 plus um that wasn't everything but i started to feel like that was getting too long so i (laughs) I made that google doc to kind of like shift everything over there um i will promote tomorrow is the first actually uh feature friday is a new thing i'm doing on twitter tomorrow's the first one um uh, exclusive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hot uh, <laughs> making news. We don't have art for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I should have. I should have told you. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna do a feature Friday on Twitter, and I will pick a designer um, to to feature their games. Typically, new, like very current, um, up and coming, or brand new stuff. Not usually old stuff, but <laughs> nice. It's backwards. It's backwards. <laughs> I should have fine on my end. <laughs> oh, okay, good. It was it was a valiant effort, Aaron. <laughs> uh, so I will be doing that tomorrow. I'll be featuring an awesome designer um, tomorrow, and we're we'll doing that every Friday, as well as expanding that list of of recommendations as we go along. One that I will highlight: I was talking. Eric uh, Levendusky uh, asked me about this the other day, and um, this is the other thing: living in Seattle is just so crazy. Like everyone is not everyone, but. There's a really, really good community here and we can be like, hey, let's meet up at the bar and like all these awesome design people are just right there. So I, I'm blessed in that way. Uh, but he was talking about the list and, and games and the thing that kept coming up was Talislanta. Um, a, because it's really weird. It's this like underground comic slash psychedelic drug 70s thing. Um, the creator, Steve Saichi, was a touring and studio musician who was probably under the influence of something or other at all times when he was working on that game. Um, and that's really cool. It's a, it's a neat insight into the, that culture of the time. That's the D and D kind of was, was the Led Zeppelin 
kind of approach and Talos Lanta was more the like weird prog rock kind of thing. Um, but it is the game that had the seven to nine apocalypse world outcome. Oh. Like that's, that was the game. I, I don't know if it was the first necessarily. I'm, I don't know for sure, but it was, it was the first in our culture there. Um, meaning me and Vincent and other people that were gaming back then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first time that we saw that in a game. And as soon as you have that tool, you can't ever go back, right? That's yeah. you cross a threshold and mm-hmm. pass fail rolls after that are just like, no, 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 we can't have that. Yeah. There has to be that partial success, complicated success, whatever. Um, so I always mention Talislanta out of that whole pantheon of games played that one really felt like a sea change in how you approach a resolution system. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's sorry. I don't want to, I don't feel like I'm stepping on Aaron again. <laughs> no, I was about to say, uh, that's, that's one of the things that I've really liked about, uh, blades and dungeon world and other stuff that we've played is, you know, sometimes when, when you're trying to get somebody who's not familiar with role-playing games into it, you know, they feel like there's all this extra math involved and it's kind of just a guessing game. It's like, all right, I rolled a 23. Is that good? I don't know what that is because it's just this nebulous yeah. number that you can't see the other side of. And I think just having a, a definite like, okay, one, two, three, I'm sorry, this is going to go bad for you. And then, you know, like from there. You're not it, sorry. It, You're never <laughs> sorry. <laughs> when I'm the DM, I'm never sorry. But otherwise, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez, excuse me. Um, kind of melding a couple of points that have made, been made so far. Actually, when you talk about Talos Lanta and how you sort of saw that and it was, you know, revolutionary. Uh, it's interesting to me now that I think about it how ubiquitous access to literally every RPG that exists is. As someone who started going back to your original, your other story about. I originally started the only RPGs I had access to were in the weird stuff pile at the used bookstore <laughs> at the town 30 miles over. Yeah. And so these were the only things I knew existed were these things. Yeah. And, it's so good right now. Yeah. Uh, I was super lucky. I, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky and um, it's a college town. Uh, UK is there and m- my high school our junior high and high school um, civics teacher owned the local game store and was our call of Cthulhu GM. Um, Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's very lucky little like circumstance to be in. Yeah. Um, uh, My buddy drew Curtis, he he runs FARC.com, you know, FARC, the the new site. Um, We always talk about that. It's called the rusty scabbard. And uh, that was like, we we credit that place as both of us have these super nerdy careers now as adults and without the rusty scabbard, I don't know. I don't know if we would have even gotten into that. Um, if, if we had to rely on the weird games show, uh, uh, depository, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was this gathering space for kids. There was a, there was game tables in the store to play there. Um, and our, our, one of our English teachers had an after-school D&D club and stuff like that. It nice. was, I feel really, really lucky. Um, I now know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Man, Mr. Four was the best. He did, uh, we did mock trial for, uh, for one segment for class. civics. 
and it, he ran it like a LARP and it was this like crazy thing with hidden information and secrets revealed. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was great. Cool. But I, so we were very lucky. We had exposure to more than we would have just going into the rusty scabbard. We'd see like something weird, like Talislanta on the shelf or, um, albedo or space master, you know, there'd be some new weird thing in there. Um, but now, geez, like everything, e- even stuff that like that came out back then that we couldn't get back then, uh-huh. you know, like now you can easily play Tunnels and Trolls. Uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I get lost on drive through RPG sometimes. Like I could play this now. This is a thing yeah. that exists in my world. And in, some in, of those are so, they're gems like Gangbusters. Is, it has this inc- like half of a page, half of a column on one page that basically explains troop style GMless ca- rotating cast gaming in like two wow. paragraphs Tom Molde hey. wrote it. Oh, uh, that's it's amazing. Awesome. It's like what yeah. if what if some of the players are FBI agents, some of the players are bootleggers and someone else is <laughs> like a DA and someone else is the the madam who runs the brothel and there's no GM and what if people just show up at game night and play different roles and it has this little like description of that in 1980 wow. or whenever that came out. It's it's like the precursor to fiasco almost. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. Yeah. But then you turn the page and it's like each action segment is 0.1 seconds long. On your turn, choose 10 <laughs> priorities for your action segment. Like, oh god. <laughs> you know. Yeah. We can only move ahead so fast. Sometimes we, sometimes mm-hmm. we're held back by our technologies. Mm-hmm. But I highly recommend it, especially to to designers out there. I think Going back to the the roots of the hobby is good. Whether you can do the deep dive and play the like hardcore old school dungeon crawl stuff, or um, the like kind of in between space '90s games, <laughs> um, weird like wraith, like bizarre stuff like that. Um, it's all it's all good. Um, even if you don't like it, uh, <laughs> it's good. Good for your game designer. Um, Judd Carlman talks about like cross training, like you're going to the gym and you're like working different machines. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, so I had kind of a question going back to, to blades. Um, you've got, you know, a lot of, uh, mechanisms in place to kind of, you know, to, to handle the pacing. You've got, you got clocks, you've got downtimes, you've got, uh, you know, the score and all the planning and everything. Uh, when you were kind of brainstorming the whole, uh, you know, the whole rule book, was that one of the foundational parts or did that sort of come through playtesting or, or how did you settle on, on what you ended up with? Uh, that's a good question. Um, there was about a two year playtest process before the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was... It wasn't. It was probably the best playtest process I've ever had. Um, in the in this particular way, uh, having to do with the shape of the game, um, because we kind of intuitively knew what you needed to have. So the idea of these things as structural components, whatever, um, was there from the beginning, um, but. Well, and as we kept playing and refining, they got better and better and better. But I was always turning out sort of new player-facing materials and managing 
a lot of that to some degree on the GM side and not exposing it as much. Like we didn't start actually using clocks on the table for the first year maybe or so, but I was using them um, just because I use them in Apocalypse World and I was used to it. Um, The idea of making them a game piece on the board that the players had access to and used in play that was the thing that tipped it. Like as soon as I started putting them on the table, everyone was like, Oh, we should go back and do that other thing. You know, like, Oh, well, obvious, obviously these should be on the table. That's the, um, so there was a lot of that. Um, and then at the very like 11th hour, like right before the Kickstarter, um, we were wrapping up a campaign and I forget what I did. I, I did something as the GM, um, something like an entanglement, uh, and that was not a mechanic. Like I, I just, mm-hmm. I did, I had, I made entanglements happen because that was a good thing to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the players was like, how do you do, how do you generate those? And I was like, Oh no. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, right. Yeah. You need to, that's a thing in the game. Um, it turns out I can't run so, this for everybody. I need there was a, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of that. It was, the shape was pretty much there and it worked throughout um, including like uh, get into the score, do flashbacks as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of stuff was uh, pretty much in place from the beginning, but then fleshing out how to explain it, what you actually do to produce the stuff. Um, that went through many, 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 many revs uh, through the whole process. But the shape of the game, I don't think it really changed much. Um, well, well, there, there is one significant thing. There was only one crew originally. You were just a Thieves Guild. That was it. Uh, oh, okay. So that that was a big change later on, where decided to break it out into a bunch of different types of things. The rivalries give you that real good, yeah, sauce. Yeah. So, also, <laughs> so that way you couldn't you couldn't choose to be smugglers and then never smuggle anything. <laughs> Hi, that's us. We're guilty. Um, also, if you There's... ever need playtesters in the future, we have like a whole gaggle of nerds who who are mostly literate and can roll things. That's good. I I also want to point out that their bullshit skills are pretty good. <laughs> on one session, they asked, "Can we count ripping that guy's head off smuggling because we grabbed it and then transported it elsewhere?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's a pretty compelling argument. That's true. I mean, from a certain point of view, you surreptitiously <laughs> transported a thing that you would have gotten in trouble if you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think they're right. In in my opinion, the blue coats are criminals. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they definitely are. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's that's coming out uh, this year. Um, our the blue coat supplement. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be good. There's some there's some fun speaking of uh like structure um the way that claims and wanted level and heat and all that get and tier get reinterpreted when you're playing the cops uh it's fun. Ooh, cool. I think it's going to be good. We'll we'll have playtest stuff for that for groups who want to like pre pre-release playtest so I'll I'll keep you in the loop uh, on that kind of stuff. Sweet. That would be awesome. It's going to be good. Yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> they're the worst. They haven't met us yet. So. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, so this is kind of a, a vague, non-specific question, but do you have any, like, 
treasured gaming memories that that like you know whenever anybody's coming up and and sharing their things like i punched a guy's soul out like what's your your thing (laughs) yeah there are a lot it's hard um the the real formative years the you know 10 to 10 to 19 mm-hmm. um like there's so many stories mm-hmm. that are so meaningful and if i told one right now it would bore you to death and be <laughs> like that's stupid um but our star wars d6 campaigns were just super epic and yes. and shadow run and all that we we had the be- great time um but part of that was just a bunch of insider you know stuff and and our own little gamer culture um, in recent memory. I think the one that, that really stands out cause it's so important. Uh, I have, I know I've told the story before, but um, I was running uh, Dun- uh, Dungeons and Dragons originally like Moldvay um, basic D and D at my workplace. Um, some people, and this was just before the Twitch phenomenon. So I'm, mm. I should figure out why they cared all of a sudden, but People at my office who were not gamers, they were like, "We make do the death, do the role playing thing for us. Make that happen. Do make the that numbers. a thing." Yeah. So we played. We played Moldvay, um a couple, three or four sessions, and I was slowly kind of like house ruling and kind of. I kind of wanted them to feel like what it was like back then. You know, that you had to sort of like create your own thing. And around the same time, Sage and Adam were. Um, about to launch the Kickstarter, and we, I was running the Dungeon World playtest for our local group mm. with Sage. And during one of the sessions, I made some joke about, "Oh, there should be this this like jokey, fake precursor to Dungeon World that's like the '70s game that you guys found <laughs> in your uncle's attic or something." Um, and Sage was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you should make that. Let's, let's <laughs> put that on the Kickstarter." So I did this that little two three pager um, thing. And once I'd written it out, I was like, well, we should be playing this at the office. Like, this is obviously the (laughs) the right thing. So we switched from sort of classic D&D to World of Dungeons. And the players kind of didn't notice or care or anything. And it was was fine. Um, But that whole campaign culminated in Allison's character, Mike's character, and Keith's character standing at the gates of death of our Dungeon World campaign world. Mm Mm-hmm. And Keith's character had been seduced by an evil wizard to destroy the gates of death forever so he could escape, his shadow could escape from the underworld. Uh, and so he t- t- tried to do that. And Mike's character kind of knew he was going to do that and had arranged to be standing next to him at all times to stop that from happening. Uh, and the, the the gamer fun part of the story is... Keith's wizard had um, eight hit points um, and Mike's character had a 2d6 armor piercing attack that he could produce <laughs> Oh, good uh, for various reasons. Well, he was a devotee of Satara, the sea demon and stuff, but anyway, um, he wins the initiative role. He attacks Keith's character. He rolls his 2d6 damage and he does seven points of damage <laughs> on 2d6. So Keith, with his, he has one hit point, and it's his turn, and he activates the magic item that the Shadow Wizard arranged to have him get to cr- destroy the Gates of Death. Oh, good. So, so he did, and all that, you know, shit happened after that. And now um, we have blades. 
And now we have plates. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we went home that night and everyone was like, wow, that was crazy. We destroyed the world. And it was a rotating cast office game. So like people were going to show up next week. Like, what did you guys do last time? You know? <laughs> um, so I, I sent out an email and it was like, what do you guys want to do? Do you want to play the out the apocalypse? Do you want to play during the destruction of the world? This like crazy thing that's happening. Or do you want to like fast forward a thousand years and, and play in the new world that has been created after that? Um, they said thousand years. So yeah, that was, that's where blades comes from. But also it's the, like that classic gamer thing of we're telling stories together. Everything is this collaborative fiction thing. We always talk about yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, you rolled a seven, not an eight man. So <laughs> he, 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 he destroys the world. Sorry. Yeah. Like that's, that's just, so how that's why we play the game. That's why we don't just make it up. Uh, it's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, we were all laughing pretty hard because Aaron actually runs a drop in, drop out, uh, dungeon world campaign where there are a dozen or so players that all sort of randomly get assigned slots every week. And at the very end of last season, while some of us were out of town, they essentially <laughs> ended the world and we didn't find out about it until we got back. So. They turned the Holy Lake into blood. Yeah. They broke the seals. They let things that are immune to death out. Um, some ancient unspeakable entity came back and I just kind of sat back and watched the discord chats. They were like, how did the last session go? And they're like, um, uh, it was fine. Why, why isn't there a journal entry describing what happened for everybody? <laughs> it was fine. It was all fine. <laughs> experiences you don't think are universal yeah. <laughs> uh, uh yeah someone in chat said they want their blades campaign to be about bringing back the sun uh we that was our first the first playtest campaign nice. for blades the Very end nice. of that campaign was uh restoring the sun back to the world uh, i was about to say i have a, I have a subtitle for you yeah. if you're making a book out of it, it says it's daylight saving time <laughs> <laughs> Once no. again, I regret nothing. <laughs> Your royalty check is in the mail. Yes. <laughs> nice. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I had a question. I, I watched uh, some of your, in, in preparation for this whole event, I went on your YouTube channel and I, I stalked you a little bit on YouTube. And I watched uh, one of your videos that was a, a reply to a video that Matt Colville had made. So I then had to go watch that. When yeah. I watched yours, uh, it was about uh, losing characters, essentially. In uh, and and Matt uh, Cole tends to approach it from a very, I feel, he's a fairly D and D centric standpoint. So, oh yes, yeah. he's he's looking at it from that specific angle. Yes, and you talked about it, um, and I feel like you maybe are coming at it from a slightly different angle, though you're still sort of framing it in his discussion. Yeah. Um I feel like. I personally have really, over the course of like my gaming career, which is a weird thing to say, uh, but I, I have definitely changed my outlooks on losing characters. Um, and in your talk, you specifically talked about how, well, if it serves the story, it's about telling the story, right? Um, and to me, where I'm at now, and I, I kind of want to get your feedback on this, like now losing characters is, mo it, is it, it doesn't necessarily, even if it doesn't inform that story, which it totally does, right? But it informs my story because that's a story I get to tell. And if I'm with these people when I lose that character, that's a story we all get to tell over and over again. Yeah. And I feel like 
that to me is sort of a microcosm of the shared gaming experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I am not, just because of life being the way it is for me, I have moved every three years since I was like 19. Wow. So I've never had an actual like long-term gaming group. This mm-hmm. is the one, like almost the longest I've ever run a game with somebody or been in games with people. So it's really interesting to me to be witness to and now part of those like shared stories that we've all experienced. And yeah. is, is that a thing that you think about when you design games? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think it's important, like in the broad sense, it, we should we should touch on the topic of that video a little bit, but like in the sure. general yeah. general sense of game design, I think um, the scope and engagement and uh, sort of arc of of play is something that a designer should consider when you're working on your project. Right? You, you, it's very different making Fiasco versus uh, Torchbearer or. Mm. Um, the they both can do one shots and they can both do campaigns kind of fiasco sort of can um but that's a that's a key decision point um and also that informs setting expectations for the players right should you expect to play this character over a long period of time should you expect to play them over a very short period of time should you expect that to be at stake the the length of time you play your character is that at stake mm-hmm. or not um and all of those things go into game design not necessarily having to pick one and focus on one thing that's one way to to do it um but just thinking about it in general what does my game serve how do i do that um like with blades for instance blades has a point of view which is i you can't be killed uh, the game can't really kill you. Mm-hmm. It can just yeah. make things w- progressively worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, but if you don't want to die, you can always survive whatever it is uh-huh. and have to wake up tomorrow in the new bad situation and continue dealing with the shitty thing. Or you can be like, you know what? That stab to the heart. I, yeah, you got me. I died. I'm going to make a new guy. Uh, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm out. I've had enough. Um, so it's very player controlled. Um, yeah. But that that dial, I think, is super important. It The most important thing, I, maybe I said this in the video too, I don't know, but um, it all comes back to expectations, right? If, we, if we're on the same page, then we can, we can play in any mode at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this kind of unfortunate, like, internet wisdom sometimes among gamers that, like, this type of gaming is legit and this isn't. And this is the re- the way you should do it. And that GM should never kill a PC and like all these very black and white kinds of things. Instead, it's just, let's just, let's all like agree mm-hmm. provisionally, not like permanently forever and ever, but just like for now, like, but are you guys cool with this? We, we, yes, we are. And we have that enthusiasm, enthusiastic consent, I think is the a good term for that, right? <laughs> we're, we're yeah. all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're paying lip service we're not like yeah it's okay if you kill my character but i really don't want you to i'm not gonna say that like you know what i mean um yeah yeah that i I think there's ways to create that at the game table aside from just like the old school forge method um which was really innovative at the time was 
have a social contract before you start playing talk about all these things and get buy-in do you want this in the game yes or no should we have this yes or no unfortunately people don't really work that way they'll say yes when they mean something else and Mm -hmm. there's social pressure to conform and like weird stuff happens um if instead you have this an atmosphere of the game itself the game itself advertises these qualities so when we all say oh i can't wait to play torchbearer we're sort of signaling like yeah let's uh-huh. do it like turn the screws let's yeah. do it just just by choosing to play that game or fiasco or whatever um and then you get into these nebulous gray areas like if I, if we all go yeah let's play D, we could all have very uh-huh. different ideas about yes. what yes what it means for our pcs and for the story and Da, 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 da. So we have to ha- go back, fall back on those older tools of, yes, it's D&D, but it's a gritty game where death is on the line, and there's low magic, and it's going to be set in these three cities on the coast, and the undead threat is a thing. And uh, like you have to create your design doc um, <laughs> as, the, as the GM. Uh-huh. You have to step in and sort of finish, k- take the game across the finish line uh, from, where it, from where it is. Um, and the other element of that video was this idea of kind of low stakes. I think that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. If, you, if it's okay to mess it up, instead of it being like, oh, you killed my PC, this game's the worst, I'm never coming back, uh-huh. you're a bad GM, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. If the stakes are super low, like, oh, I, I'm really disappointed in how that happened. I wanted to keep playing that character. And we go, okay, uh, that's fine. Like, you, let's just make, the, make it work out. Or whatever. Find uh-huh. a cleric or yeah, you know, maybe you know, it could be really, the last yeah. second and you're unconscious or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, that's something I love about classic D and D. Actually, like you can play that hardcore, no take back, zero hit point death thing, and you can also be like, you can go on a quest to resurrect your fallen comrade, and like that's awesome. Uh-huh. That's why why in so many forum posts, it's like how to avoid the total party kill and make sure your <laughs> encounters are balanced exactly. Da 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 da. And I'm always like, but the resurrection quest is so fun. Like, just just have that in the game. You know, I don't know. There's so many layers to that. Uh, We could we could have a long talk about that. We we could. I I will say this: it is uh, very interesting and cool to think back and realize that even back in the day, like way back in the day, like the foundational documents of the hobby, that this was a known issue. And so, big time. There were groups with groups who were like, "Yeah, we'll do the resurrection quest." And there's groups like, "No, nope, that thief's dead." Yeah, dead. yeah. There's a really good video uh, on Matt Coville's channel. He interviewed his GMing mentor, who's Ooh. like super old oh. school, like first generation D and D GM. Um, for like two or three hours, this this wow. interview. Wow. And he breaks it all down, like how they played, the culture of play, how they got groups together, what books they were using the whole nine yards. And the, the real standout thing for me from that talk is it was uh, rotating cast, pick up and play. You would take your character sheet to someone's game that week and be like, I'm going to, I'm playing in your game tonight. Here's my guy. And they would kind of look it over and be like, okay, this is all right. Um, and that's why in dragon magazine back then, there were all these, these articles about like, don't give out tr- treasure like this or don't mm-hmm. give them too much stuff because they're going to take that, to this, uh-huh. someone else's game and be like, wait, you have a flying carpet and a ring of wishes? And wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so, uh, How many decks of many things? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but that portability <laughs> aspect and like taking it to different groups, kind of like a pickup basketball league mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's such a cool idea. I've never been involved in something quite like that, but it explains a lot of where that stuff comes from. And getting killed in Brian's game on Wednesday, you come back to Jerry's game on Friday and you're like, I need to resurrect my dude, everybody. Like, can we, <laughs> can we do the quest for the thing? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, do any of y'all have any more questions you could think of? I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this one, but um, I think it was on your website or your blog, but you talked about one of the... It just You design games that require little prep. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And first, I wanted to say, as someone with a career, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and second, I mean, how much of that... How much of that is... like Is, is part of that such that the storytelling is more unless like the GM has planned, if not all the connective tissue, at least a bunch of nodes. Like, like how much is the, the low prep stuff intentional as a design goal or as a design goal, or even like just specifically the narrative that you're trying to encourage with your game. Like, is it, are you trying to encourage like a specific behavior of players through low prep, or is the low prep more just so it's easier to hit the ground running? Oh, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Ed. I have to I, let me hang on. Let me think about that. Um, He's got to go to black. His black and white thinking corner. <laughs> <laughs> so I would. I would love it now. If like suddenly, like from his head, it expanded out. Into, like, like the the Wizard of Oz. I'm just trying to think of what music would go along with the black and white thinking corner. Uh, it's yeah. Everything's Nico Case, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or Tom Waits? Probably Tom Waits. Tom Waits. Um. Yeah, man, that's such a good question. Um, like, but like before you clarified, I was gonna uh, like, yeah, of course, like the 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 low prep thing is, um, like for our circumstances as people with not a lot of time and hard to get game groups together. You can't play for thirty sessions. Da 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 da. But how does that change the way you interface with the game itself? Like, how yeah. does that? I think that, yeah, I think it goes hand in hand with the, um, high momentum, low drag genre based, uh, hold on lightly mentality, like this very like forward thrusting, running away from the giant boulder kind of thing. Um, because that's the type of fiction I love. I like Flash Gordon serials and and Indiana Jones and Star Wars and stuff. And those are all pulp at some level, and they're all in medias rest to some degree, usually. And a lot of that stuff is part and parcel with it. Even if sometimes I go a little further afield, it's still kind of in that space. And I think I think you've touched on something really smart there. That there there is a kind of there's a connection. Um, it's it's not just uh, convenient to have a low prep game. It actually does kind of 
yeah, it like pushes the players and the GM towards mm-hmm. a, a snappier, less worrisome, less nitpicky kind of mode, maybe. Um, I think, might, yeah. Um, yeah. It also might encourage more just kind of collaboration, really, if if you don't already have this whole interaction planned out. I Absolutely. I think, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think some of my favorite moments running Blades has been when I pitch a Devil's Bargain, mm-hmm. and then another player says, no, I can do better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I just sort of sit back and, yeah, no, that is better, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you said Devil's Bargain. <laughs> yeah. Let me show you what well, I got. If you've seen Bloodletters at all, you know that Strash, Strash is the master of the self Devil's Bargain to the point where it's not even part of the discussion of the Devil's Bargain. Like, it's just part of his action that he's described. <laughs> and we get to going through the dice and picking Devil's Bargains, and everyone kind of goes, I can't really think of one because you are, it's already the thing you're doing. <laughs> you're already, you should take the die for it because you're already, you've already done the thing. <laughs> it's just every single action you describe includes <laughs> how it's, how it's really bad for you. You're already embracing the worst possible universe that this could exist in. Yeah. Uh, Matt in chat says, hold my poison chalice. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Um, it does it does go to the collaboration thing. If I've if I if it is very low prep, and the setting is sketchy, and the game is telling us to get into the action as fast as possible, there is a bit of a pressure on me as the GM to say, "Why are you guys here?" Mm-hmm. You know what? You're in Bajo Baz's office. He says you're either with me or against me, um, and we can just start there, and then I can. I can pull the group. Like, why are you? What? Why are you really here? Are you secretly here to assassinate him? Andrew, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, not, not to toot my own horn, but I did start season one with. I've got a question for each of you. Uh, where are you? Who are you robbing? When did that alarm start going off? And whose fault was it? <laughs> and the first person answered, said, "Oh, it was definitely my fault." <laughs> man you you know you've got a good groove at that point that's uh that's awesome yeah sean nitner does um uh just t- t- tell us what your blade is like and the last time you used it and why Ooh, that's, a good one. that's a good one <laughs> really writes good. that down <laughs> it's a good that's one. a very good technique and also i've seen the most self-satisfied look i always see is the person who is not the fighter type uh, and when they get that question, they're like, "Oh well, I don't have a blade," and and they and they get to like they feel so superior, you know, like, "Well, yes, yeah, so you guys all talked about your stupid blades. I'm above all of that. I'm the spider." <laughs> Let me tell you, over the last time I used my quill, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was um, it was held by someone who didn't know they were working for me. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I think it's really interesting because speaking as someone who's run a f- more D and D than I care to remember, um, <laughs> I know that uh, as I've sort of gotten uh, older and l- did less prep work with my games, um, I also and this speaks to a really bad instinct, but I got less possessive over how the story went mm, and how yeah. things evolved, mm-hmm. um, not just to the collaboration method, but just like. This is the thing that I planned for. This is what we're doing, right? 
But if there's low prep and it's low in time investment on my part, oh well, that's the thing that happened over there. Especially with with blades or a dungeon war or a apocalypse world sort of thing, where if I have to come up with like statistics or mechanical information for the bad guys, the the opposition, um, it's not very detailed. I don't have yeah. to think very hard about it. Um, that's really so nice liberating as a as a game runner. I really enjoyed running blades. Um, in part because I'm just like, that's a punk. That guy's nothing. <laughs> that's a demon. That's a problem. And yeah. These two things, there's a there's a there's a gradient between them. Um and uh sort of going back to the original, I have I have a question. I have two questions. Well, I have one compliment <laughs> and one question. So uh go on. The, the, <laughs> the uh engagement role mechanic yeah. is amazing. It is right. the thing yeah. that I have always wanted yeah. as a as a player or as a GM. What like running Shadowrun, running any D and D that happens outside the dungeon, running any where it's like, okay, we did the plan. We don't know the plan, but we did the plan. Can we not talk about this for an hour and a half and just do the thing? <laughs> oh god, the amount of time that those engagement rolls saved. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, that's just self defense, right? I I ran a lot of Shadowrun <laughs> and good lord the just <laughs> the pace of that game i love i love don't get me wrong i mm -hmm, love shadow mm -hmm. i oh, love it mm -hmm. but i know um this is a shadow run over there yeah. i'm, I'm it, really waiting for the genesis hack of shadow run uh -huh. <laughs> yeah um uh -huh. and then in, in stars without number too actually uh even as recently as like i've because a year or two before blades but i ran this really long cu couple year stars without number campaign and um, there were the occasional like killing or heist or something, and for one assassination, we we had two sessions of just like in a room with diagrams and figuring out how to. It was it was actually fun to be honest, but yeah. um, but it's not conducive to any kind of pace where you're doing that every week, right? That no. that's a, that's a nightmare. No. Um, so for the regiment, uh, Paul Riddle and I are working on this game, this uh, World War II, the original version. World War II battle game, Apocalypse World uh, powered game. Um, and it was kind of like both of us were sort of enthusiasts of that of that era and, and military games, ASL and that kind of stuff. And um, we love the, the fiction in that space and we wanted to emulate it to some degree. So we ended up building this game that did it pretty well, but it fell into this trap of things are so high stakes and so deadly and where you're standing yeah. and who goes first and why and what you can see and all that like is determining who lives and who dies in this really hardcore way. You, the game system kind of didn't matter after the GM described the situation you were in. Mm -hmm. You were you lived or died based on that description, more or less. Yeah. yeah. Um, and once we realized that, we were like, well, that's no that's a problem. Like, why engage all these systems when the starting conditions of the battle are so important? Um, so we came up with engagement roles for, uh, for that. And I wasn't running it at the time. Paul had this, Paul decided to run, uh, the, like the whole airborne campaign, uh, from D-Day through Normandy land, like, uh, through Belgium, just the, the whole, the whole thing, um, cool. as a regiment campaign and his blog posts about it are fantastic. If you want to read awesome military fiction, yeah. uh, 
uh, Enigma Machinations is his blog, and he he recorded the entire campaign. It's fantastic. Um, but it was like a patch. I I, I sketched it out like here's a way to do it. Here's here's how to do this engagement problem, and passed it off to him. And then he used that through the campaign, and it was like immediately he was like, oh my god, this is good. This is oh <laughs> yes, we have to make this work better. Um, cause they, uh, the initial obvious first problem is it's so important. Now we need to stress about the engagement role and it has to be like so critical uh-huh. and it's ch- it, the outcome decides the fate of everyone. So we, then we spend an hour debating what goes into the engagement role. Um, so, I love that bit of drama where you say like, so you get one die for it being a bold or daring plan. <laughs> like just it's a 30 yeah. second stretch that feels like it takes minutes in the best way possible. Yeah. That was a last minute addition that, that particular die. Um, Cause I, I finally just realized like, Oh, this is what I want. I should just give mm-hmm. you a die. Why, why, why like make yeah. it all like weird and subtle mm-hmm. in the game? Just like, just tell them mm-hmm. up front. Yeah, give the rest um, the thing, give the rest the prize, and they push that button, man. Like, yeah, I, I want you to be crazy and and daring. Go be crazy. And but daring. then the thing that really made it work, honestly, like there's a lot of ways to do engagement roles, and I think a lot of games benefit from that type of that concept. But with blades, backing it all the way out to it, it's just your starting position. It it matters, and it cuts out a lot of bullshit. But then, I'm sorry, we, can we swear on this? I didn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, totally. yeah, go for it. Okay. Sorry, uh, I forgot to ask. Uh, it cuts out a lot of bullshit. <laughs> Um, but then it carried too much weight and then it, it turned into a planning, planning for the engagement role. Yeah. <laughs> so now the, the worst it can hurt you is that you're in a desperate position, which yeah. gives you XP. Exactly. So there's your little engine of like, you should care about this, but if you don't care, it's kind of good for you. So, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I, I want to kind of loop back to the, the three questions because you did ask us what our thoughts were, and I just want to point out that sure. like, I really do like getting XP for even attempting a desperate role. Like, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. pass or fail. Yes. You are in a shitty position. You are probably learning from this because maybe you're just learning <laughs> never to do this again uh-huh. in a very burn-after-reading way. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. I, I That bit of, like, that part of the third, like, the answer to the third question... I think is is a inspired design. Yeah, it's important, you know. Uh, the it's it's the and again, just like the whole blades philosophy, it's the bluntest instrument, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to do this, so oh, I will well. give you XP for it. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's exactly. extremely straightforward, dumb way of handling it, but it solves that problem because the desperate role is not a good deal, right? No. It's Everything that isn't a six is very bad for you. Really not. And you should try to avoid that as much as possible. Never make a desperate roll because it's just it's just bad. Even on a four or five, you can die. You know? Yeah. Like it's it's you can do the thing, but you die. He um, impales you through the spine. But uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. the doors open. Yeah. Congratulations. But you you do ineffectually scratch him with your knife. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Good job. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah, so having that XP thing, and then the the initial problem right out of the gate was, oh, this is not going to work because people are going to mine this. There's no limit on it. You can get as much XP as you want. It's going to yeah. be this runaway train of whatever. And I was like, you know what? I'm. Let's just see. It's like, oh no, uh-huh. what if you have a game yeah. group that tries to game desperate roles? 
how, ooh, that would be terrible. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> they create so much drama. What would be terrible? Yeah. What if, what if they just go out and be awesome all the time in my <laughs> yeah, game? Just, just keep rolling sixes. I mean, that's all you got to do to win. Play. Just always roll sixes, and you're fine. Yeah. I, well, my I've I've gotten to run one ga- blades game, and I've gotten to play in one blades game campaign. And, campaign. Yeah. Sorry. In one 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 season, as we call them, of blades. Uh, and um, I think my character made maybe three rolls the entire time that weren't desperate rolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I, I respond to incentives very strongly. Apparently, I do very... too. And I'm I'm a min maxer, not so much in role playing, but in every other. Uh... I optimize and, you know, the shortest, my guards shouldn't have a long path to walk in prison architect. I got to fix that. Cause it's, you know, <laughs> everything is super optimized. Uh, but in, in a game like blades, like there's, there is an incentive and there is a reason to do it. And the XP is good, but also like XP and getting more stuff. Isn't, it doesn't matter that much. You know, you, you can still roll a three. You're, you're. It helps and it's good and you know it's nice to have that extra die and whatever. Mm-hmm. But eh, on a long enough timeline, everyone critical moment eventually. Uh-huh. Um, I, so yeah, I think our last session of season two of my campaign, the episode title is three 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 one three. <laughs> because, <laughs> <laughs> because that's what our hound rolled. <laughs> on a on a desperate snipe or a hunt, yeah, it's so bad. D- so distracted bad. elf. She was playing a a whisper, and it was like I don't know a year ago or something now. But I I got the screenshot on Twitter from her like <laughs> yeah like like quoting the book like most rolls have a fifty percent chance of success. <laughs> like, it was like six dice of a tune. The three three one one two three. And this was yeah. like, do it or get possessed by the monster forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> and she does excellent faces, too. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, that's got to be a lovely screenshot. Yeah, she She's an amazing gamer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it, it just, that just goes back to that, the um, setting expectations idea that we were talking about before, mm-hmm. right? You want. You want this vibe that we're having right now. Everybody's laughing. We're having a good time talking about the worst things that ever happened to our characters. <laughs> um, it's not because we don't care. Uh-huh. We're trying. We're trying to avoid those things. We're trying to give them their best lives. Yeah. But when that when they <laughs> face the worst moments, it's like a combination of sympathy for them, but also like the glee from this is going to be really fun to play. Like uh-huh. you, we love it when a character struggles. And like, I always talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark because uh, for obvious reasons, but it's like a perfect movie, but um, Indy fails every single role in that, like basically every role in that movie. He ends up tied to a stake by the be- <laughs> villains while they enact their master plan. <laughs> like he, he loses the whole thing. Uh, and every minute of it is super exciting. We love it. We think he's awesome and cool. We don't think he's uh-huh. a buffoon. Um, yeah, it's that that roller coaster snowball effect or whatever it is. Um, 
is is it's just good for it's good for that type of fiction and i think yeah that's the type of fiction like you mentioned earlier like uh that's the type of fiction that i want to design for i think primarily mm-hmm. yeah i think the the way that you set individual character stakes in blades is very good too because you can always you can always make that last defense roll always yeah there's just a very high likelihood you're going to be slightly more broken as a person <laughs> yeah and that's another wonderful feeling right you again mm-hmm. geez I, i'm breaking my own rule i'm like i'm telling you why my game is cool um, <laughs> that's why you're bad. here man yeah, it's that's bad. definitely part of why you're here yeah it, it speaks for itself however um <laughs> no um I forget who one of the playtesters, probably Dylan Green uh, or Ryan Dunleavy, one of the two. I would credit uh, with this that that discovery of the joy of being able to just say no, and Strash like canonized it on the blood letters that going nope (laughs) on on camera um, whenever the the resistance roll came up. There's something. It's just so. It feels so good as a player to know. You get down to the last thing. You fail and fail and fail. The demon has you, and they're sucking the soul out of your body, and you're like, actually, you can't do that. I'm a Blades PC. I can just stop that. I can just say that doesn't happen. I don't care. You're the demon lord of hell. Whatever. Nope. Doesn't work. And I'm going to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. But I pay for it. As long as I'm willing to pay the price, I can stop anything. Mm-hmm. And it means as a tier zero crew, you can go, you know what we should do? We should take out the unseen. That's what we should, <laughs> we should uh, kill the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> You're not here to kill the Pope, are you? Oh. We're, not bla- we're not actually Blades pieces, so <laughs> it wouldn't work. Yeah, when they come for us, when they burn down our lair and they take mm-hmm. everything away from us and they murder our friends and we're, we can say no, 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 no until we mm-hmm. burn ourselves out. Um, but we're not actually the underdogs, the blades PCs, they're secret underdogs. You get to feel like an underdog because the game goes, Oh, boo hoo. You're a tier zero crew and you have limited effect and you're not worth anything. But the rest of the setting should just be filled with terror that there are PCs in the setting now because (laughs) they can't stop you. You, if you, if you target them and decide to take them out, you're going to just death march your way through their forces (laughs) and, you know, ruin your own lives doing it. But, uh, it's, there's something really fun about that dynamic. That's pretty cool. I, I will say as a, when I first started running blades, I didn't, get that i think mm-hmm. and I, I came to understand it and embrace it mm-hmm. um, but i was coming from a different place apparently and had a hard time i it, once i got that you show them the terrible thing and you make them run from it you make them stop it that yeah. was a major breakthrough for me um i also uh, came to the same conclusion you did and in my game it turned out it took a PC to stop a PC or <laughs> yeah. one PC to stop two other PCs as it were who were trying to stop each other. That guy was, was basically made of bombs and it was bullshit. I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other dirty little secret though. I think you hit on it. It and this happened in our pers- uh, uh, playtest games, local games. The inter inter crew stuff. Mm-hmm. It it's not automatically what the game is about, right? You can be totally external facing and that's fine. But you can make that discovery. It happens in Apocalypse World a lot too. Uh, uh-huh. 
where you're you realize oh the people who really matter in my character's life are the other pcs and if we're not all on the same page i got real problems now because there's nothing worse than a pc um forget demons forget all that like pcs are the real problems uh this it started to happen in uh roleplay blades as well yeah um and what I love about that is it the the questions of loyalty and mm-hmm. friendship and common interest that are they can be glossed over a lot of times, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But um, in this, when they come up in Apocalypse World or Blades or Burning Wheel, um, it matters, and uh-huh. you can be in this situation of. I I'm doing everything right. I've optimized my build and whatever, <laughs> but the other three players are against me, and now I'm just completely screwed. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. Um, and that, that that's uh, the both long burning wheel games I played were all about that. And I think that snuck its way in as a little seed in Blades. Uh, that the the crew is arguably the most interesting mm-hmm. thing. The, it's got um, the most dynamics in play. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like uh, because the rest of the game does such a good job of making you feel like these criminals, these like borderline <laughs> yeah. petty but also sort of super powered criminals, that eventually you do turn to your left and you're like, that person, that person is actually the threat. Yeah. What am I going to do about that? Or my biggest yeah. obstacle. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. The 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 whisper playbook. Um is kind of designed around that. Uh, you, it's, we wouldn't know anything about that. I think everyone has this experience, I'm pretty sure. I'm feeling very uh, attacked right now. <laughs> More or less than when I said, in response, I shoot you seven times. <laughs> there was a discussion among... I forget when it happened. It might have been with Sean Nittner, but um, there was some discussion about... Have you looked at all of the friends and contacts? Do you know that the whisper is super broken and just like not like the others? And I'm like, yeah. With <laughs> <laughs> the whisper's friends list is like way too good. Uh and 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 but also their abilities are better too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. They definitely are. Okay, cool. All right. That's, that's what we're doing. I think and part I'm of ready. that is it's like the brainer in Apocalypse World. It's the same thing. They're they're yeah. just trouble. They're just super trouble, uh, and balancing them down to fit into the party or whatever. Mm-hmm. It makes sense in a certain type of game design, but uh, just like with the brainer or the Skinner, arguably worse in Apocalypse World. Um, yeah. You want that outlier, that character. The spider's kind of like that too. Uh, that's just they just start on a different playing field. You're, you're like, yeah, I got some knives and I, my friend's a bounty hunter. And they're like, my best friend's a demon and I can summon guns. And, okay. Uh, great. <laughs> you're a, you're a problem. Yes. <laughs> That's the thing that we, that, that kind of works so well for, our, uh, you know, the campaign we did where I was the trouble whisper is <laughs> when things went well, so I was a demon lawyer who knew magic, and basically when we <laughs> broke into a place, I had a contract, and if you signed over your entire building to us, we wouldn't kill you. 
Um, <laughs> Big air quotes around that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> kill you. But um, no. but like the thing was, when things go well, the whisper is great, and when things go bad, when the whisper is great. <laughs> The whisper is a big fucking problem. When when things go bad, we get demon grandma bartender. <laughs> and it wrecks everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're the trouble magnet. Um mm-hmm. they, they have power, but it's at a cost, right? Oh, yeah. oh Sean Sean's reminding yeah. me in chat. Uh yes, it was it was at GoPlay. That's right. Late night at GoPlay. Um should the whispers friendless change? Yeah. <laughs> I I feel uh, like because uh, Aaron uh, runs, like I said, that 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 epox- or that Dungeon, Dungeon World, World game, mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. her Dungeon World game, uh, my character has a massive uh, distaste for wizards mm-hmm. that has been earned, and I feel like same deal <laughs> in that setting. Wizards are a huge problem. They're just they're, they're drama sources. And yeah, I think that's what you want, right? Yeah. You want, yeah. Uh, yeah. The the ideal thing, World of Dungeons does this, and um, uh, the old uh, um, uh, basic role play Elric was the first time I in, encountered it. Okay. But okay. That I that idea of oh, you want power? Sorcerer does this super mm-hmm. well too. Um, you can have power. You can have as much power as you want, um, and that amount of power is how troublesome it is. Yeah. So just. Pick your poison. You know, if you want a super powerful demon and sorcerer that's nine dice worth of kicking ass, you gotta make a ritual roll against nine dice to summon it, and every failure is conditions you don't want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a burning wheel magic pack that's like that also. Um, uh, and yeah. that that it, it, it's like a it's a lazy game designer out to some degree. Also, mm-hmm. um, I can write rituals and stuff without having to build this True. really intricate that's balanced. True subsystem i can just say look you can have whatever you want as a ritual or as magic <laughs> but you got to negotiate with the powers that be you have to mm-hmm. get into a relationship with entities that do not have your best interests at heart and the gm is going to play those characters and they are going to try to ruin your life uh so go ahead do whatever you want but it's it's like a role-playing yeah. problem yeah. Um, it's kind of like any other game we we focus on it because it's magic as gamers, we want magic to be more scientific or more kind of like rote. Uh, yeah. But if you take it out of the magic space, it's just like a first level D and D character saying, "You know what? I want, I want my local knight and his garrison of troops to work for me." And you go, "Okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to do that? Like, go, okay, like try to make a deal, you know." How's uh, your estate management skill? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of promises and bargains are you going to have to make to get that in motion? Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. No, I I think uh, one of the, my favorite things about the wisp like those sorts of mechanics is that uh, Vetra Aaron's character made that decision every time. Like every time you try to do the thing, you have to like re up your commitment to <laughs> everything burning down. If this goes bad. <laughs> And so every and everyone at the table watches you do it, and a yeah. bunch of them are going to make eye contact. <laughs> yeah, like seriously, you're mm. gonna. Really? We're not cool with that. Really? <laughs> you just promised how many souls? <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> in the Blood Letter series, we had the opposite thing where Sean and Adam both decided to just live in denial, basically, and we're like, <laughs> we don't know what you're doing. Uh, 
So when you're off making demon packs and like throwing lightning bolts or whatever, like we don't see you do any of that stuff. <laughs> so we just can be like, Oscar, where were you? Like, why, why didn't you help us in that fight? You know? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Never mind the hurricane outside. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like that's a natural human response, though. Eventually, you just <laughs> shut down. You're like, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, it's better. How, just don't tell us. Yeah, how the demon sausage is made. Just keep it over there. <laughs> as long as it's tasty, we're fine. A lot of orphans in that sausage. <laughs> There were, a, yeah. You guys specifically it, burnt down an orphanarium. It happened. I watched it. It does. It does break down over time. You can't. You can't be in denial when uh-huh. they're, they're they're uh, putting up your enemies' bodies on hooks and draining their blood into a, a basin. Like during the the fight isn't over yet, and they're already like ritually carving a guy. Like, yeah. Now I'm just imagining the lurk like walking down to the basement of the guild hall and throwing open a door like to go get like some bread or something off the larder and just like suddenly looks up from a book and there's just like bodies hanging and the whisper standing in the middle. (laughs) Super guilty. Oh Um, man. Uh, My friend Phil is in chat. I just noticed Phil Rose. He played Claire Tremont, the psychic in our long running. We, uh, we played, um, in Polygon magazine, there was a uh, like pulp D twenty supplement that they published in the magazine. Okay, and yeah. Tony Dowler ran that for us. We played a long. We played like thirteen sessions of that, and then Spirit of the Century, and then Shadow of Yesterday, and then something else. This long running pulp thing. Oh, okay. It was super fun. Same characters, but different systems. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Phil played the psychic Claire Tremont, who was marooned on Mars and I, I think Phil probably this was a seed in my mind for whispers in blades. Uh, nice. She had psychic powers and the thought Lords had these mysterious towers and they could control populations. And she was like, I want to commune with the thought Lords. That's, <laughs> that's what I should do. Or like, yeah. <laughs> um, nice. yeah. Thought Lords is a really good name for just like yeah. anything. Thought Lords yeah. of Mars. Thought Lords of Mars. Yeah. Coming out this year. Look- <laughs> Looking for it. Looking for um, it. There's a there's a version on my Patreon now, but it I wrote it just before Blades. It's like this weird proto blade system that doesn't quite work right. Oh. Okay. Um and since Blades has come out, I went back and looked at it and was like, you know what? This needs a new a new version. So nice. It'll it'll be coming out, but yeah, Phil's character Claire. Maybe the first whisper, technically. I, I think <laughs> <laughs> the first whisper being marooned on Mars makes it. Yeah. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It uh, makes so much more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. Did anybody have anything else? Or oh, I I could ask questions all night, but um, <laughs> I, I I don't have a time limit. I, you guys probably do, but if you have more questions, I'm happy to answer them. That's that's fine. Um, uh, one of the, the first one that comes to mind, uh, Devil's Bargains. We talked about them a little bit earlier. Uh, when did that morph from you just being like, you know, this thing to an actual mechanic? Yeah. Uh, that I remember it distinctly because it was at the very end of the local playtest group. Uh, okay. we played, it was about two years of, of games and, like vanilla blades in in the setting of Duskwall, and then uh, some other 
experiments in different types mm-hmm. of settings with different types of characters and um, to see how the systems kind of held up if the mm-hmm. magic and fantasy stuff wasn't part of it. Um, but sometime during the end of that, uh, and I had done this, um, Dylan Green, the playtester, he was in my Stars Without Numbers game as well. And there's this kind of, it's not a bonus die like, like Devil's Bargain, but there was always this like, oh, you want to convince him? Eh, that's probably like, I don't know, it's like DC 13. Although, if you promise to give him a cut, it's like seven. Or whatever. There was always this yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was always this thing that came in. Or he, you know he's going to tell his allies about your plan before you do it. And that'll lower your DC. Or whatever. Um, and then in the Blades game, there was always this, like, well, I'll give you a bonus die because basically you promised to take care of her sister. So... And that kept happening and happening and happening. Okay. And I, I wasn't aware of it. Uh, and at the end of this long series, it happened in one session. Ryan's character did a thing. And I was like, you know, you can get a bonus die if you like spill the beans about your other project. And Dylan was like, okay, this has to be a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it anymore. This has to be a mechanic. Uh, so, yeah, it it. It was in play for a long time without anyone noticing it, and Dylan just stamped it. And then it, it took a while to name it. Actually, um, Devil's Bargain was the right thing, kind of. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, well, this is like not a Christian kind of thing, and the idea of the devil is so kind of Christian focused, and I don't want to have that in my setting. Um, so I, I cheated by going the other way, like every evil creature is called a devil in this world that's what that that's their name for it so it make, now it makes sense because um, it was it was the right name for that, that it, thing yeah it's very evocative uh in in what it says about that mechanic yeah that's that's I, cool i think it also sort of introduces a bit of space in that moment between the player and the character yep as well mm. yeah I think that's super important. Um, yeah. And, and also opening space in the groups, the group space as well. Yeah. Uh, things you might not be aware of as the player necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, things the GM might not be paying attention to, but someone else at the table is like, you know, you've actually been kind of tiptoeing around this thing for a while now. What if you committed now? And everyone goes, Oh yeah, I never, um, it's nice. It's a nice little. It's that soft space between the mushy story game thing where we're uh-huh. like, oh, we're just gonna like tell a story together and it'll be really cool and chill and we'll get high and whatever. Um, <laughs> As you do. Sorry, I'm yeah. No, I'm being I'm being way too mean there. Uh, I it, it I have a problem with that kind of thing. Like I I think I think authority divisions in games are good and you want to have some kind of space where you don't have to worry about stuff and as a player it, it bothers me when the gm's like you go into the room what's it look like you know eh, I don't, I, that's not I don't, i'm not i'm not into that personally um that's just a personal preference that's not a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bridge but, too far but the that that soft space of devil's bargain lets you kind of like bring in that type of collaboration that's a little bit outside the normal space um and Andrew Shields, actually, uh, when I was doing the list of Devil's Bargains in the book, 
they were originally that like you take heat, it costs coin, you lose an oh. item, you know, the the simple list. Yeah, yeah. And there's a second set of on that page, the bottom part of that page is from Andrew who was like, "You know, actually when I play blades, like it these can be all kinds of things. They can be revelations about your past and you actually betrayed him back then and now he he knows it was you and like like and I was like, "Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah." that we do that too. We should, that's a good point. You know, that we should have this little sort of sidebar almost that says, if you want to get weird and you want to get into the (laughs) collaborative storytelling space, devil's bargains are a fun way to do it uh, without stepping on anyone's toes. Cause you can just say, nah, I don't want that. I don't want that die. It's like, whatever. Um, But, and it goes back to, I didn't say this before actually, because I was avoiding answering your question. Um, (laughs) One of the, one of the things you do in Blades as a player is GM training wheels. You, there are certain activities you have to do as a player in Blades that, that you do when you GM other games. Uh, And so part of the Blades secret little manifesto is um, being a player in Blades makes it easier to GM uh, because you, you secretly work on these little skills and the devil's bargain is part of that. Um, the other part is like, you have to say what action you're rolling, which is a GM thing in every other, every other mm-hmm. game. <clears throat> um, so there's little, there's little bits like that uh, seated throughout the game to kind of train up uh, a GM mindset uh, for people who traditionally don't GM. Yeah, I, 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 and uh, I'll, I'll go back to the other thing in a second. But that point specifically, uh, the educational term for that is scaffolding, mm, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. it is uh, I, I it's one of the things I was very impressed with when I read the book. Not not just in those specific instances, I think, but the whole book itself. If you read it as a player, I think does a very good job of sort of laying out what expectations are, what you should where what you should be thinking about. And those things then can generalize very easily into the next step to be yeah. a game runner. Yeah. There's a cost, though. That, there's a seven to nine on that. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Presenting the book that way, it, it can be difficult for some readers. It can be clunky. It can mm-hmm. be like too technical sometimes or a- awkward as opposed to your normal game read. And that was, that was a very conscious decision we had to make in the editing phase with Karen. Yeah. Like, what order should things be in? What are our priorities? What do we really care about? Um, and making the call to say like, yeah, we want this, that matters to us and we want that to be a thing and we have to just let it go. And some people are not going to dig it and it's going to, it's going to hit them weird. Huh. Um, but can't have everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why you make editing decisions, I guess. Yeah. You, you got to make those calls one way or the other. There was a there's a funny one. I had this Twitter exchange with this really uh, cool person who was not an ass about it at all, but they <laughs> they said like the order of operate uh, order of reading the book was annoying to me because I like character creation earlier on. Oh yeah, like pretty much every game does for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I didn't get that, like it felt like a slog to get through the book. And there was a lot of stuff that didn't seem to have context for me. And then when I finally got to character creation, everything clicked and I was good. And now I, I can appreciate it. And I was kind of like, 
as a designer, I'd never really thought about this really hard because my assumptions were so ingrained. I had never thought until this person said this. And I I had talked about this issue many times in the structuring of the Blades book. But until someone said it on Twitter, it never occurred to me to ask, why didn't you start reading the character creation chapter? (laughs) If that's what you'd like to start with, why didn't you start there? It never occurred to me. Like, you can just read it in any order you want, man. Like, there's no, no, I'm not the boss of you. Uh, and, and when I, I tweeted that and then I was like, Oh, that's a dick thing to say. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. That's just, it's kind of passive aggressive. Like I shouldn't have said that. Um, but their response was really good. They were like, you know what? I, I never thought about that either. Like, I, I guess I just, I guess I just read from the beginning without Um, so it's on my mind right now as a designer, like that's something to talk about in the forward or in the Mm -hmm. table of contents or something like, Hey, do you have a preference for how you read game books? <laughs> Feel free, man. Like, start wherever you want. Like, this is my order, but if you want to read this first, go ahead. Like, maybe I need to give people permission. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Signpost them out. Give them, give them yeah. permission to use their own schema when they go through the book. Yeah. 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 Because there's always a trade-off. There's no way to write, to create that order that's just going to solve everyone's problems. You, mm-hmm. you, you're always going to alienate someone or whatever. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's actually really cool to me that you put that sort of thought into it, though. That's that's not a thing that I'd ever actually considered. And Man, it's a of... problem. It is yeah. such a problem. Game books are, and there's that vector, and there's also the reference book versus reading the thing mm-hmm. as yep. a as a text. Um, what do you need when you're at the table? Versus now things are a little easier because you can just drown people in a PDF of supplementary sheets uh-huh. and things that uh-huh. they can print for their game. But it used to be a big problem. Like should you reprint everything in the back for, so that they can quickly find everything or, you know, it's that, that part of it is that's what makes it fun. Right. Cause it's such a uh-huh. difficult problem. <laughs> There's so many variables. Um, yeah. This is kind but, of reminiscent of sitting in on a UX design. Yeah. <laughs> real. The UX design of a tabletop role game in cover yeah. format yep yep that was that was my old old career um not ux exclusively but graphic design for that stuff yeah and even in that world there are people who just didn't get i don't know if you've experienced this but like the idea that it's a trade-off was something that they couldn't wrap their head around. Well, what can't we just we'll just have everything it'll just do everything <laughs> <Nope>. um, <laughs> How how are you in this job and you <laughs> don't understand that it's a trade off? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Doing it again. Sorry. Yeah. It's okay. At least we haven't we haven't had any trains tonight. So shout out to Jordan. Uh, our, we have a we have a uh, one of our players uh, lives relatively close to train tracks, so mm. hundred meters on, on on a fairly regular like on a fairly regular scale. <laughs> so uh, on a fairly regular time scale, while we're playing at night, we will get train whistles. Well, and so it it's always right when we're like, "Hey, Jordan, what does your character think about this?" And like, flip up the mic. <laughs> That can be their Tykerosi demon telltale. They open their mouth and train noise. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of amazing. Um, could be anything but a whisper with that. We had a bad guy. Uh, Matt Snyder has this game called 44, uh, which is about um, 
everyone in your life is being replaced by mechanical duplicates and you're the only one who knows oh no um, isn't yeah. that like isn't that like a a, a mental disorder as well like that's yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah a psychological yeah. disorder mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. i was just gonna say a thing in paranoia yeah also true it's it's a it's a creepy horror game uh in the first play test the gm described uh the, the, the character's running for an elevator and the guy doesn't hold the door for him and he opens his mouth to talk and just dentist drill noise comes out. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I've always I've always kept that in my back pocket as like the meanest. That is immensely unsettling. If you really <laughs> need to get him as a GM, you can have dentist drill noise. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, like, your, uh, that's your sound effect. That's almost, ma- that's almost tooth mask bad. It's bad. I, it's bad. I, Sorry. I Sorry, chat. I didn't warn you. That's that's gonna, that's gonna get somebody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have a new trauma I want to inflict on someone. Oh, it's so bad. I think it's I just took bad. that trauma in real life. <laughs> I believe that was called haunted. <laughs> um, I, oh, the other thing I was gonna uh, just sort of touch on with the the uh, to your mic. With the other thing I was gonna touch on with the devil's bargain. Um, is that uh, the reality is, and I love this, that the GM could just do the thing, right? Like, I could just do this thing, but I'm giving you as the player either the chance to okay this thing or to veto this thing. Yeah. And that's a really cool... I mean, you talked about it being collaborative earlier, but when you break it down to its, like, barest bones, I'm giving you this story agency... Would you like to take it from me? Yeah, yeah. It's an offer, um, uh-huh. but it's a but lo- it's loaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Gagan, the uh, GM extraordinaire, um, he has a he has a mean devil's bargain. I don't know if we put this in the book or not, but I can't remember. Um, he's like the devil's bargain is you can't resist the consequences of this role. Oh, oh, <laughs> that is it's, ooh. It's like meta bargain. That's right. real bad. It's this really mean extra reach. And oh. you can tell the type of player. It's like a it's like a uh Rorschach test for the, uh-huh. for the player, right? The, the the most people like no way that's no 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 that's obviously not worth it. Screw no 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 no. And then you get the guy who goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, now, all right, now I know who I'm dealing with. <laughs> it almost feels I like mean, the DM version of, like, like you're basically playing a game with, with a DM who's an anglerfish. Like, you have that bait right there, <laughs> and you're just trying to find that one one that's just, that's just crazy enough to go for. <laughs> yeah, clearly it's a terrible idea, but yeah. Awesome. No, I would totally take that. I, mean, <laughs> I, I built my PC to be awesome at at desperate actions and terrible at the consequences for them. So what's the what's the monster heart saying? Treat your character like a used car, like a stolen car, like stolen yeah, car, drive it like the, you stole it. This is a case of like internet telephone that is so good. I wish it was true. Uh, <laughs> it, it, that is in Monster Hearts, and it's about the GM playing in PCs. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, but it's so good that everyone thinks it's for the players, and it totally should be because it's yeah. it's like it's the it's the best advice. Um, Avery is such a good writer, and everything she writes is great. But that that little misunderstanding, I almost never correct because I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's do really that. Cool. Treat your character yeah. like a stolen car is just yeah. the best. Ugh. 
It's the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Actual play in the chat just said hardcore challenge. Play blades without any resistance rolls. <laughs> oh. I mean, I mean, it's a short I, game. I mean, yeah. you want to play like three sessions. Like, yeah. Jack had zero resistance in two stats for like yes. the first half of that campaign. So it's and then it's like kind of the what, same. what's rolling negative one die with Daredevil? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta roll three and take the lowest, or three and roll the, the lowest. Yeah, roll the three, the... Roll, th- roll three and add the two lower one, or subtract the lower the lowest one from the second lowest one. Yeah. Something like yeah, that's a house rule that needs to exist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just you just keep piling on the negative dice. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Like, zero resistance, you still avoid the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Dylan, I need to tweet this. Strash sent me this, this quote a while back, and I haven't shared it again, but Dylan Boat said something around the, there's a stark difference as a player between uh, zero damage in D&D or whatever, mm-hmm. not taking damage, and the zero stress from a resistance roll. There's a different yes. feel... Yes. As a player at the table, you there's there's something that happens in that moment where you're like, Ugh! and getting zero isn't like, man, that nothing happened. That was boring. It's like, whew, oh my god, it's, I well, dodged. It's, that I got bullet. away with how much? Uh huh. Yeah. For free? Yeah. And you never know. That's that's the inequity of it. Any the uh-huh. fiction attached to that mechanic could be anything. It could be, you know, this massive world changing thing. Uh, or the tiniest little like, I get my hand on my knife before him little thing, and that cost me uh, six stress. Like, why did I resist that? That was so dumb. <laughs> 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 that was not worth it. I, I just yeah. reached quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think that may be close to a good wrapping up point for us. I, wow. I have. I... I have one question. Go for it. <laughs> give us a good. I know, I know I'm full of them. I'm really give it, sorry. Not over. Give, give us a good. Uh, give us a good last right. question. Don't okay, apologize, so, Zach. So in uh, one of your other uh, YouTube videos that I watched, you were, it was a discussion with I think another game designer. Um, you talked about, and I think you were using someone else's words when you did this. I'm sorry, I can't come up with names because I'm like, I, 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 my brain is not functioning fully right now. Um, that. The job of a game designer isn't to finish games; it's to fill notebooks. Yeah, yeah. And, and I really liked that turn of phrase. Um, yeah. And then you talked about how you go back through those notebooks. And you're like, "Oh, that's awesome! Oh, what was I thinking there? Like, what? What?" And so the question I have to finish this out is: How old was the notebook that the foundational pieces of Blades in the Dark came out of? That's a good question. Um. Very old. Uh, probably, I could almost go get it. Uh, <laughs> I want to say... Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to auction it on eBay. Um, it was sometime between, like, after Agon came out and... Lady Blackbird, like, so that was 2008, maybe, okay. or a little before that. Um, not 
not to do with um oh it must have it must have been right after so 2008 is when we were playtesting apocalypse world so it was after that okay um, some somewhere in there 2008 2009 um Damn. the this idea of taking that old talislanta uh success range yeah, yeah, which yeah. Apocalypse World was using and but doing dice pools because I I, yeah. I wanted some I, I wanted dice pools for a very specific reason for that project, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, it wasn't uh it wasn't blades related at all. It was some I don't I forget what it was, but um when I saw Vincent's interpretation of Talislanta with the two D six rolls, I was like, oh yeah, this is really smart. This is a cool way to do that. Um, but it's very like closed off, you know, you, you roll with your stat and that's the end of the story. There's, there's yeah, kind yeah. of no, there's nothing to do there really. Um, and I always love the dice pool thing of, uh-huh. you know, get a, get another die here and get another die there and like build your pool and do all these little moves to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. And lady blackbird, that's all that is. It's just this like mining your character sheet for dice. Um, so yeah, it was right around probably 2009 or something. Um, but what's funny, and this happens all the time, this happened with Agon too. Um, I forgot completely about it and it was after Blades was already in production that I was going through oh, wow. books and found it and was like, oh yeah. <laughs> That's where that came from. I thought of this back then. It, like a year after Agon was published, I was collecting notebooks and moving them into a, another room. And the whole like me- mechanism for that game was written in this notebook. Oh wow! And I com- I completely forgotten about it. And I was like, why didn't I just find that? If I had found this, I would have saved me so much trouble. Instead, I was like, I have a new idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I just completely forgot about it. Um, I'm a genius. <laughs> you just so that's why it was Vincent Baker that said that, and I and I think that that's uh, that's why he says it. It's. I, I, you could argue that your job as a game designer is to play games. Um, that's another way to look at it. Um, but I think filling notebooks as opposed to doing the work of game design is a good distinction, particularly for new designers, because it can be such a slog if all you do is sit at your Word doc or whatever mm-hmm. and like stare at the page and try to write your game. That's so hard to do. Um, if you instead like let your mind free from this project and just free associate. What would be a cool way? What's an engaging way to, to share dice? What's an engaging mechanic to create collaboration at the table? What's a fun way to roll numbers that gets people excited about something or whatever. Um, and if you're just making notes and notes and notes and notes, notes, then just like we said before, like that's going to program your subconscious with all this fodder and six years from now, when you're working on your thing about elves, uh, you're going to go, Oh, I have a good idea for a dice mechanic. And it's secretly in one of your old notebooks, but um, yeah, that's it, it. It's, it's a combination. It's useful, but it's also like permission, you know, to yeah. say it's okay. It's okay. If you're not finishing everything and you're not having these like crystal clear thoughts, it's okay to just sketch and whatever. Um, awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite poets, Jane Hirschfield, is the opposite of this, and she's so annoying. Oh my god. <laughs> she she's like Mozart. She sits and she meditates. 
And then she writes the poem down and it's done and she publishes it. Wow. Uh, yeah. It just, she's a it arrives in its final form. <laughs> she's a whisper. Um, she's a whisper. Yeah. <laughs> what, what but she did came she have to, to make? <laughs> <laughs> she came to Seattle one time and, or probably many times, but I talked to her one and I was like, how dare you? <laughs> you're, you're a monster. Uh, and the, and she kind of said the same thing. She's like, well, yeah, but like the meditation practice, that's my thing. That's my writing in my notebooks. Mm-hmm. Right? You, I'm, I'm doing the work without writing it down necessarily, but I'm spending all this time building imagery, building ideas, building language in my head. And when it finally arrives, it's because of all this work that's chugging around in the background that isn't, doesn't care about the poem, doesn't care about the, the, the thing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I think as game designers we can take that on board and say it's okay. Give yourself permission. Just noodle around, have fun, write in your notebooks with no particular purpose, and that all will pay off in the long run. It's good practice. Yeah, that's great. Uh, do you have how tall is your stack of notebooks? It's <laughs> <laughs> right over there. Uh, it's it's a lot. Um, I actually switched to smaller and smaller page sizes okay. yeah, yeah. over the years. Uh, cause I used to get these like eight and a half by 11 kind of things and then fill like a third of them mm. and switch to something else. And then store, I had these like giant stacks of things that each had like 14 pages of notes in them. So <laughs> they've gotten smaller and smaller. I'll, here I'll, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> So there, here's my oh, wallet. Wow. Here's nice. my Rhodia nice. uh, notebook. So this goes in my front pocket. And um, what I love about these is that they're you can get like every kind of in, interior grid or yeah. whatever. But also the the thing they make the cover out of it's like really durable. Oh, nice. um, okay. I I used to use like scout books or uh, yeah chipboard um, notebooks, which I they are great. Uh, but they get all like ground up and torn and mm-hmm. messy. So yeah, Rodia, it, it's like the smallest, I think it's the second smallest one they make. And uh, what I love about this is I always have it with me at all times. I, there's a game in the back that I carry with me to play the Royal <laughs> game of Ur. If you haven't played the Royal game of Ur, okay, yeah. I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's just right here. Um, That's with the four-sided dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the binary dice chariot race game. Yeah, it's the it's the oldest game with a game manual. Yeah, uh, cool. Um, it's really good. Very very fun. Kind of proto backgammon, I guess. Yeah. Kinda. Um, but what I like about these, the pages are so tiny, you can't, you can't like go on a treatise, right? You have yeah. to just you have to just note like, what if people got uh like an extra die for this and I, that's like all you can write <laughs> and move on and you yeah. move on you just whatever um th- that has helped me the the I, I tend to design in layout um I, I build my layouts and then i write into the into the layout <clears throat> um and it's the same forcing function where you it it subconsciously like makes you think of yeah. concepts that fit that space mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so the smaller your notebook the more kind of succinct your ideas maybe possibly okay. that's how that's how i work anyway um yeah that's a cool thought cool that's yeah cool that's thought. really cool 
Um, I do enjoy that since you're you're in black and white, that's your little black gaming book. <laughs> I don't know what color it really is. It is but... actually black. I, I only have black and gray things. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not then the you're, webcam. You're... It's just a feature no. of his little yeah. <laughs> of your house. <laughs> the whole, this is all this. This is actually pretty accurate. He's uh, in the grayscale district of Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> the makeup so time for this interview must have been ridiculous. <laughs> it's intense. It's like a Pleasantville situation. <laughs> do you label all the idea notebooks or do you just kind of pile no. up and you dig through like mining for gold? Honestly, I almost never look at them. Hmm. Yeah. It's all the subconscious. Well, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's just, it's um, just you, you recorded the, it. The act of writing it down loads it, and I kind of never look at them. And not never. I, sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mostly, like, it's just, it's like a, when you're learning a, a technique, you know, a jujitsu or something. Like, it's one thing to watch a video or hear it or whatever, but the, just, just the physical activity mm-hmm. encodes it into your body. Yeah. And I think that happens when you... For me, anyway, when I write it in my notebook, um, no, it, my, my brain goes, "I should care about this more than usual." Um, <laughs> it would probably, it would probably benefit me to go through my notebook because I would have discovered the already written game system for a game that I struggled with for months. You could have played four years ago, man. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> but that's that's the funny thing, though. You, if you work in isolation, the thing can just be for its own self, and then mm-hmm. the the thing that it's right for, it can just naturally bubble up and connect through circumstance instead of you like trying to find, I, I need to create the perfect thing for whatever, you know, instead you just have, you have so much practice like broadening your horizons and, or, or deepening or whatever. Yeah. Um, when the problem arrives, you may have already solved it in the past without really without remembering and kind of that's awesome click together yeah Yeah. here's a question you don't have to answer (laughs) okay do you ever read rpg books and take notes uh no i don't take notes i i read every game uh i try to i used to try to play every game um because for a while you could do that. You could. Uh, that's a lot now. Um, that's a lot now. Not anymore. Not yeah, not that's over. Anymore, really. <laughs> yeah, that is over. But I try to. I try to read every game if I can, possibly. Yeah. Cool. Um, but I. But I don't take notes. Yeah, I'm not a. I'm not a like reader type. Well, yeah, because um, I was just wondering because your system. I mean, you've got your own like information processing theory going on here, and yeah, like, you got the active memory stuff. And so you record you, you record your own thoughts by writing them down, but you record other people's thoughts that are interesting by reading them and probably processing them slightly differently. Definitely processing them by reading them, yeah. Uh, and then, it, and honestly, that the reading process is trying to stay current, state of the art. Mm-hmm. It's my it's my job. Yeah. Um, but also, it's like uh, a competition for what's going to be played. You know, there's this yeah. this. There's so many games, and I can only play one or two or something. Absolutely, yeah. And so it's this it's this brutal like culling process yes. of what's going to get to the table. Yes, um, RPG survivor. Staying, yeah, staying an informed consumer of RPGs right now is like it's work. It's, <laughs> it's work. crazy. It's and I crazy. love it, 
yeah it's, it's, it's fantastic we're super lucky uh-huh. um and we're extra lucky because designers that are somewhat outside the mainstream like jackson tegu for instance like that dude is making weird stuff and <laughs> it's really good and yeah. it used to be that if you went to go play jackson would be there and he would run this crazy thing that he made and that's it like if you you just have to be lucky <laughs> and like live in the right pl- part of the world but now he has a patreon and he puts all his games up and you can go find them um But that makes the problem even worse as a game designer. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. it's no longer like, well, I got to keep up with Modifius and uh, like D and D stuff and and whatever. Like the the big four or six mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Now there's fucking Jackson Tegu too, who's just yeah. like turning out like you're a weird ghost or something, and <laughs> you got to care about that. You almost have to set up a Google alert to hit every time like <laughs> the word role playing games is is written down somewhere. Yeah, that that's why I want to do this this like feature Friday thing. I want to try yeah, to that's awesome cool. curate that space to some degree and be like, hey, here's something to care about. There's a lot of stuff out there, but here's a way to kind of focus in on parts of that thing that maybe you're not exposed to as much. Um, and and honestly, drive through is pretty good in that sense, where you can go there and just like see the top twenty mm-hmm. or whatever. That's I, I I use that all the time to kind of take the temperature of the marketplace and see like, oh, okay, that that the new changeling thing is number one. Like I had no idea that was <laughs> wow. Like that's that's good yeah. info to have, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Read that to you guys. And I mean, I guess you can always take a bit of a browse through Twitch or something as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Twitch is good. Um, particularly if you get into like, uh, do you know Eric Bulgaris, his channel, Eric? Yeah. He's um, running Torchbearer right now. I think I've yeah, seen a couple he, times. He, he runs like, he runs five games a week on his channel and he plays in two others. Jesus. Yeah. That's... Uh, he's the most prolific mm-hmm. RPG streamer. I always say if you're if you're a designer or a hobbyist and you hear about a game and you're like, oh, <laughs> a dog eat dog. That sounds interesting. That's he's currently game. playing it. You can go to his channel, <laughs> find the VODs and watch people play basically any game you can name. You can go to his channel and watch people play it live because uh, his his variety is just off the hook. Doggy, watching someone else play Doggy Dog has got to be a special kind of hell. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Game is great, but it makes me super uncomfortable. That's a that game is rough. That's supposed to. That's the point, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, uh, you should play Steal Away Jordan. Um, That's that's the deep cut. Oh really? (laughs) I'm unfamiliar. I want to check that out. Julia Ellingbow. Came out around the same time as Poisoned. I forget when that was, but 2006 maybe. Um, it's on Lulu. Um, you play uh, slaves in the Antebellum South. Oh, I remember reading about that in your uh, Twitter thread. Now, yeah, it does yeah. not pull its fucking punches <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a hell of a pitch. That's yeah, like it goes some places. Gonna wreck you real bad, and in the best way, like especially if you're not familiar with that part of history mm-hmm. in a direct way, it's really good for that. Um, I think every history class 
in our high school should just be role playing games because oh. I've I've learned so much. Not not to toot my own that. horn, but we definitely I, I taught I taught for a while in Philadelphia, and then I taught at a really touchy feely hippie school outside Philadelphia. And <laughs> when I got the opportunity, myself and uh, another teacher who was there, uh, who had actually come to the school after running a comic book store, so mm. he had like all of his mm-hmm. leftover stock. Um, we did do RPGs and stuff with kids. Not we did D and D specifically, but we also did just like sort of free form. You're in the situation now. What do you do to try to try to get them to conceptual probably conceptualize uh, sociological issues from time periods that they weren't. Directed nice, um, dude. And you're, you're like my junior high civics teacher. Like <laughs> a reborn. little bit. A little yeah. bit. That's awesome. Um, so that that was a very useful tool, I think. Uh, and that's, uh, I mean, one of the things I've been really lucky that I got into RPGs as early as I did is it one of the things I think it's helped me to do. I'm from a very small town, a very homogenous place, and it helped me sort of, it's helped me step into other people's shoes. Yes. Um, and yes. that is a, a gift that very few forms of media or entertainment can really give you. Mm-hmm. And that's why Absolutely. I keep coming back to this hobby, I think, is it's very, very good at that. That's one yeah. of the greatest advantages that we have as gamers. Right. Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say it's, it's I want to say there's like a psychological effect of playing through something in a tabletop role playing game. Your brain associates with it differently than just reading a mm-hmm. firsthand account. Like your brain will remember it in such a way that I did this thing. Not right. not. Throgner the Barbarian did this yeah. thing. It's me, Zach, or me, Andrew, did this thing, or yeah. yeah it's like we don't have a lot of data there, but but video games do, and, yeah. and mm-hmm. I think it, I think there's some yeah. correlation there that that yeah. actually pressing the button to do the thing it it really does have having a psychological effect, and mm-hmm. yeah. arguably gaming is is a deeper connection than that. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. I've talked to. Uh to a few other people who are uh, trans and having a chance to play a character who's a different gender than mm-hmm. the one you're assigned as kind of putting yourself in that headspace is, mm-hmm. is really good for kind of figuring shit out. Yeah, I bet. Which mm-hmm. like, that's one of the things that helped me a bunch. And it was, it was kind of, you know, one of those, Oh no, Oh no, obviously this and this later, but like, <laughs> you know, having, having that thing where you can, you can kind of share those experiences with people. And then, like you said, just kind of pour your brain into another body almost. Yes. And, and kind of figure that stuff out is, is awesome in a way that not a lot of things can be. That's so awesome. I, I mean, it's like a direct thing, right? Like that's what you want. Yeah. You, you want to <laughs> explore the other body or the other self. Right. And you have this immediate <laughs> visceral way to do it. It never occurred to me until I started gaming with trans people, and and also Renee, uh, who wrote Kagamatsu, and mm-hmm. and Avery, and other people who were transitioning during the process of being to make mm-hmm. making their games. Um, as someone who was kind of an outsider to that, uh, yeah. it was it was this combination of like being educated about the mm-hmm. the thing mm-hmm. itself, but also like seeing how that point of view informs their work you know it's 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 this richer kagamatsu especially probably like a big standout in that space that it it 
directly confronts those issues in a way that is a super fun role playing game. <laughs> um, but also, you 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 it, you're woke a little bit, you know, like it yeah. it kicks you yeah. a little bit and and makes you think about those things. And um, man, what it's I, I, uh, it just makes me so happy that there's a space for that. And um, uh, Elf was talking about this the other day about um, shape shifting and. Um, all these like all these ideas in gaming that we take for granted that are so trans oriented are just they're so uh-huh. rich for that type of material uh-huh. and oh man there's uh, i can't i i i predict a a rich vein of games in that space that are going to be really cool yeah that's that's also Exciting. one of the things that i really love about kind of not so much the resurgence but like the thriving kind of indie scene you know that's happening where people are making smaller Mm -hmm. games is you know everybody's got all these different different viewpoints and this is a way for for you to sort of kind of expose people to to you you know and and Mm -hmm. things that are important to you and 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 your history and that's 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 just kind of rad and i really like it (laughs) oh it's so good there's there's this old saw like before this sort of political or progressive thing, you know, um, when I was growing up in Kentucky anyway, that wasn't on our landscape so much. Um, but we used to always talk about this idea that if you're a gamer, odds are you kind of know the world more than the average person. Even if you are some like regressive weirdo, um, <laughs> like, you know how to dispose of a body, you know, <laughs> like, you know, stuff that you don't, wouldn't normally know. Uh, and that's because of the content of our games and the focus mm-hmm. on on you know killing or whatever. Uh-huh. And when we create games that focus in other ways, it's the same thing. It's just a different landscape, and mm-hmm. we can have these. I don't know. Like I I, I don't I, I don't necessarily buy into completely a a political agenda for game design. Like I think you should make the thing that inspires you the most. And mm-hmm. if that's if the thing that inspires you the most is educating people who don't get it then you should definitely do that Mm -hmm. um but you can always tell the difference between the game that is just a political screed and a game that's a fun role-playing game right those Mm -hmm. those are two different Mm -hmm. things and they should both exist but they're they're not the same thing um and then there are these that's why i always focus on these beautiful gems like um ali in chat right now mad pro um she has this great game as a blades hack called misbehaving and it's prohibition era gangsters plus magic, but it's this thing she's talking about, which is having power and using that power to help people. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a thing that's not common in gaming, right? We usually power is used to destroy your enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can create a role playing game where when you get power, there's an, there's an avenue for helping your community, building other people up, changing their circumstances yada 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 um that's all that super political but it's also like good game design yeah you know it's a it's a powerful avenue to explore as players um and i think i hope anyway in this current climate it is particularly for me as an outsider like if i feel like the trans thing especially is so powerful in our community right now Everywhere I turn, every show, every Twitch stream, every game, like it just, 
I'm just like, this is amazing. It just feels like this blossoming of, mm-hmm. of this space. Um, but that's just my opinion as an outsider. I don't know how it hits you, but um, it, it, it feels like there's a moment happening. Yeah. Around. I, I think a little bit is kind of the surroundings for a lot of people are super oppressive. So this is, mm-hmm. I think, I think the internet where, you know, you know, people and you can, you can talk to folks, there's going to be assholes and that's, that's just, kinda, <laughs> yeah. that's just going to happen. But like, it's a place where you could just go, Hey, fuck it. Here's me. What's up? Deal with it. Like, you know, this is, this is my little room and I'm gonna do my thing and either you can watch it or you can get out. And mm-hmm. like just being able to be yourself in at least one place and, you know, just, have mm-hmm. some people like some people can't be out at work or else they'll get fired or some people can't mm-hmm. be out with their family. So, you know, even having one little outlet is like a huge steam release, like a, you know, pressure valve and yeah, any, anything that can do that for somebody is, uh, is a huge help. Is it, is it true that there's a, I, I'm like tokenizing you right now, super bad. No, it's I'm fine. sorry. What's up? Um, but like the the you know being someone else right like that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a core principle of our hobby mm-hmm. um the ability to try on another uh, being something that you aren't right um there seems to be an obvious core, like connection there right is that is that just surface nonsense or is there something to that do you think that matters to the i i think like I, part of me wonders if that's one of the things that actually drew me to to playing RPGs and stuff was I, it pretty much my whole life I've always felt like uh, this m- me doesn't feel right I guess so mm-hmm. being able to sort of like okay I'm gonna try this one on eh it's better but this is still weird and just kind of getting a hop over and over until you find something where you're like oh wait hold on this may be <laughs> something oh. Oh wait, I do like being a pretty princess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to yeah. be a pretty princess who marries another pretty princess, and then you know, <laughs> and yeah. then they fly off in their skyship and murder cops. <laughs> <laughs> Those cops had it coming. It's like a it's like a safer space to ex- to explore something. Yeah, right. And I mean, that's yeah. that's one of the things is is when you're doing you know if if you're actually committing to to role playing and stuff you're going to feel like an idiot at first. You know, you're worried that people are going to judge you. But after a certain point, <laughs> you become comfortable with the people you're playing with, kind of to a point where it, it's okay to to kind of pull some of the outer layers off a little bit and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. kind of give them a peek under the hood, I guess. Yeah. Like, when I came out, the people on the podcast were one of the first people I came out to, aside mm. from after my wife. And, like, they've they've been nothing but, like, the most positive and supportive people in the world. And it, it's it's meant a lot, especially during, like, you know, shitty days. It's like, I have a group of people here who just, they like me as a human being. And that's 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 something. That's so wonderful. About to get I, I mean, that's, that's why we're here, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. it, we're here to make fun games and have fun. But there's a lot of ways to have fun. Oh, yeah there's something more to this hobby. There's something extra <laughs> and we should, we should appreciate what that is. And at, I, my own experience in like queerness to, for lack of a better word, I, I always hesitate to call it that. Cause it, it I, I, I talked to Andrew uh, about this on our long, we had a very long video we did uh, a while back. This like six hour talk. Um, and it's complicated, but 
I just wanted to say that that resonates with me in, in that small way that, that there's a space uh, for like, particularly with like masculinity and expressions of masculinity and straightness mm-hmm. and maleness. Like there's a space in gaming in my, in my own experience that has let me push those boundaries before society was ready for those things to be pushed. Yeah. You know, it's okay for me to play. I could play a woman, let's say, um, and when I was 13 in Kentucky, um, uh, in 1986, I could like acknowledge the attractiveness of a man, mm-hmm. you know, without it being, you're a homo or it would like that, right. that simple little thing is a way of stepping into that space. And now in 2018, that is just, I feel like it's multiplied into this much richer space of, um, exploration but also like acceptance and um it's hard for me to talk about that because i am not in a vulnerable position right like i'm not i'm not taking risks no one is judging me no one like Mm -hmm. it's very easy for me to say those things so i i try to avoid pontificating (laughs) stuff when i'm not at risk but at the same time like i want to acknowledge that our community the the broader twitch community of gamers here like we got to give some props i think like mm-hmm. there's yeah. there's been some really awesome um community growth and i'm just seeing this uh it just it feels so good it feels so good <laughs> to see the space dissolve away from a bunch of straight yeah. white dudes as the main there focus. was I think it was Overwatch, like the top ranked uh, mm. one of the players in the world just in the middle of a stream was like, yeah, maybe I'm trans. By the way, it's true. I'm trans. And they, they were just like <laughs> kept on playing and like kicking everybody's ass with a robot who could turn into a turret. And I was like, Holy shit. Like, <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> I didn't I was, I was like 1,800 people watching. I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm trans. I'm also this cool robot. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, gets three headshots. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's beautiful. That is beautiful. It is. <sighs> yeah. And that's, you know, we're talking about game design. We're talking about techniques and methods and how do you, what do you do as a designer? And I think this touches on that, right? You, yeah. uh, it's, it's part of your responsibility to care about these things and to create whatever, whatever you're making is going to create a, a little subculture at the table and yeah. your subculture is going to be political. It's mm-hmm. and if you don't make it political, you're going to inject it with the default politics that you don't understand about yourself. Yeah. So there's no way to make it apolitical, right? It's, it's going to have an opinion about these things. It's going to have an opinion about personhood and, and, social class and every, whatever the whole nine yards yeah. um blades blades like thing is is criminality right mm-hmm. like why do we think people are criminals in their essence you know people are complicated and the fact that you're a criminal is not just doesn't define you that it's a thing you did it's not who you are um chooch and that make being intentional about those choices as much as you possibly can is is important and if you are in a powerful group, if you're in a, like me, if you're a straight white dude, straight, like I'm not fucking straight, but whatever. Like if you're, <laughs> if you're a straight, straight white man, um, like it, it, 
behooves you to get fucking educated about this stuff mm-hmm. and understand things yeah. that you need to do because it's not it's it's easy to think of these things as other people's problems yeah and it's mm-hmm. cool that our that our gamer space is opening up and allowing people with different voices to step in that's yeah. that's one part yeah. of it and that's really important but it's bullshit to go well it's your you need to you're a trans person you need to write the games for yeah. trans people yeah you're a person of color you need to like mm-hmm. of course you should like like of course telling your own story using your own voice is what matters right but to just have it like on your you just got to carry the weight on your own yeah. you know that's that's, <laughs> that's bullshit yeah we're um, doing our white dude shit over here <laughs> yeah whatever that's on you make your weird game over there um no, yeah. we it's 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 part of our whole responsibility together to yeah. to be in this together. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's easy to think of default or to just treat everything like defaults instead of. And I would do this later in your process, not earlier, because it's paralyzing at the early <laughs> stages. Like at the very end of your process, get a sensitivity reader. You know, mm-hmm. play with people who are outside your normal space and you're and not who are not you in their experience mm-hmm. and their and their place in our culture um and then have some honest uh, assessment of that stuff like do what am i saying about if if blades in the dark ultimately was like you know what's cool doing crimes and hurting people um like if that was its (laughs) ultimate message like you get away with it and everyone lives happily forever so just you know murder and it's all good everything's the best uh if that's the message that it was telling i would have to own that i would have to take responsibility for that so um yeah let's i don't demand this turned into like a fucking rant but um <laughs> no. uh, it's it's this super important and and yeah. it's not just like social justice warrior bullshit it's this is game design this is a it's a challenge it's a it's a it's the same way you balance your magic user is how you talk about your politics. It's the same. Mm-hmm. You, you, have the to, same you have to thing. treat other viewpoints as worth considering in the first place. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we haven't published anything, but that's kind of been one of our things we've tried to do from the beginning is, you know, I don't care if you've never played before, if you've had bad experiences or whatever, you're welcome here. We're friends. As long as you come here to, to you know, be cool, then we're going to have a good time. And that's uh, that's kind of been the mission statement from day one. I think. Yeah. And we're all, I think we're all chipping away at it, right? It's not on one person to do everything. Right. It's, we all are contributing. We're all taking the load. Um, and yeah, Ali and Chad is talking about the own voices kind of mm. thing, which is at once a great idea and also really difficult and weird um, to, to just be like, yeah, it's, it's on you guys. You're like, do Talk about your experiences. Um, It's complicated. I think in the spirit of the seven to nine, like we should, we should embrace that. We should say like, Mm -hmm. you know, what's fun. The really good thing is the complicated success. And that, that's Mm -hmm. what we need to wrap our arms around and really champion that. Right. And be like, yeah, this is where we are. This is, it's a complicated success and we're going to ride that out <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a real good story <laughs> well yeah because we're, we're now in the most interesting option right mm-hmm. we have 
everybody we everybody with all sorts of crazy with very interesting and divergent viewpoints coming together playing games some of them are making games some of them are running games i i really personally cherish the opportunity to step into someone else's game who has a perspective different than mine Mm -hmm. because it's the ability to what they what they did with their game what they did with their setting and what they're doing with you as a player Mm -hmm. tells you about them about their life about their perspective in a way that you could read about or you could listen to them talk but they can put you in it yeah even if you even if you are not in the game the same as they are like even if you are not like even if i'm not playing a trans person in aaron's game the way that aaron thinks about things comes through in the way she runs games and therefore i'm getting some small piece of that every time i show up to play one of her games yeah and that's not just being, I mean, it's being a good person. I, I don't want to minimize that. It is being a good person. But it's also, that's, that's the core GM skill, yeah. right? You mm-hmm. listen, you ask questions, and you build on the answers. It's the core player skill. You listen to the setting and the situation and build on the G, what the GM has provided to do something. Mm-hmm. You listen to your fellow players. The, the core activity of our hobby is not talking. Uh-huh. It's listening to the other yeah. people. Mm-hmm. So we're uniquely positioned as an activity. Our, the, the essence of what we do as our hobby is listening to other voices. And mm-hmm. if we can't embrace that, then why are we even gamers, right? Yeah. Like we yeah. we have to, we, we can't successfully play a role-playing game without yeah. doing that. Um, yep. Yeah. I'm just now yeah. realizing the last two seasons of games I ran have been pretty much complete body horror. Uh-huh. <laughs> which yeah being yeah a prisoner in your own holy shit no i didn't that's even... the shit right it's just, it's just where you're at it's just where you're at oh, right? no, yeah just... you, what you mean the teleporter that reassembles the you at a different place after turning crushes into you goo? and sluices you to a different floor yes that's <laughs> um the destruction of your own body and creating a new one why would that be related yeah. to yeah <laughs> What, I, what a right? crazy idea. I literally <laughs> did not put that in together until Zach said that thing like 45 seconds. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so good. Oh, shit. Okay. This has, been, so this has been a great night on so many levels. Um, <laughs> so this is going to be, a, I'm going to take a little bit of a trip here. So I've already talked about how I, I used to taught, probably the best experience of my life was I taught at a really, I taught at what, a small D democratic school where everybody sort of made the decisions by consensus. It was a very interesting experience. I would highly recommend it. If you can find one for your kids, if you ever have them, everybody that's watching, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> but the, the, it, it was also a very touchy feely, like hippie school full of people who were essentially hippies uh, and their kids. And uh, they assigned at one point, one of the parents came in and assigned each of us, each of the, the faculty members, a spirit animal. <laughs> right? uh-huh. where, I'm, where i'm going with this was my yeah. boss the, the woman yeah. i worked under at this place had been doing this job had been sort of organizing the cats at this place right getting them all in a row doing all these things interacting with all these humans building consensus for uh 40 years or something like that right wow. uh, lots of experience just like dealing with the human condition listening to people <laughs> building consensus uh the spirit animal she got assigned was human. Her spirit animal was human. 
<laughs> and it sounds weird, right? It sounds weird when you say it. But if you think about it, what she did that whole time was listen. She listened to everyone. And she listened to people and she appreciated their ideas and tried to get them to a place socially where they could function and interact with other people. And that's a very human thing. It's a thing that only humans do, right? My dog can watch a movie, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I have suspicions cats can read. <laughs> but I only am tuna cans. <laughs> I am 100% sure that this hobby is a human thing. At least as we understand animals and life on this planet, humans do this thing. And it's one of, to my mind, the most human hobby, the most human thing I can be spending my entertainment time doing for exactly the reasons you laid out. We listen, we collaborate. We learn from each other and there aren't that many other things you do where that's the whole deal. Right? Yeah. As your agenda, if, if you come into the gaming hobby with an agenda to tell your own story, do succeed at what you want to succeed at. Um, and, and, and like be the, like follow your own path and do your own thing. Um, the hobby itself is going to fight you at every turn because every mm. part of what we do is going to twist and turn and and fight that mm -hmm. that yeah. mentality. Those variables. Um, yeah, there's at then some at some level it's going to disrupt the self-powered thing. Um, and there are some games designed to minimize all of those obstacles to that and make it as singular as as it can be um but they're in the minority i think and um we're in a space now where it's kind of going the other way and we're seeing the what's beautiful about that and not in a abstract wouldn't it be nice kind of space but in a practical this is a good way to play a game space uh and we don't have to argue about hypotheticals or anecdotes as much as saying like, well, this, this is actually good. Like if you do this, it works out better when you don't do it. Um, so that's a nice, that's a nice place to be. It's not theoretical. It's not just a weird design cul-de-sac that no one cares about. It's somewhat <laughs> empirical. Now it's getting into that space mm -hmm. of this is, this just works and you should care about this. Um, it's good. Yeah. It's a nice place to be. Yeah. It would suck if it was the other way around, right? If uh -huh. if the fascistic, yeah. like autocratic method was the best way to play role playing games, it, the, we, that, I would be very sad. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that'd be no good. It just it no turns good. out that's not true. So we do That's good. We dodged that bullet. Dodge that bullet. <laughs> well, that's when you say no and start, you know, rolling your resistance dice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jeez, uh, it's almost eleven o'clock. Um, yeah, almost. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah. Time flies. Um, it really does. I guess. I guess we should probably wrap up. Um, I guess. But, I, I mean, I don't think any of us want to wrap up. Yeah. I, no. We, time is time. We, we seriously need to do something again. You've you've <laughs> been fantastic, and yes. for an event that I didn't think would happen in the first place, this has gone beyond my wildest <laughs> expectations. <laughs> it's been super fun. I mean, I honestly, I just want to get out of the gate. Ahead of Adam and Jerry, I I want to have the best <laughs> show. 
I'm gonna I'm raising I'm raising the bar as high as I can. They have a- you have set a very high bar. It's they have a lot. I Adam and Jerry. I I I'm just gonna assume their shows are worse. And I, that's crap. I mean, after this, that's <laughs> that's not an unfair assumption. I'm just gonna I'm gonna retire undefeated from yeah. that D and D podcast. To, to one up but, me, they've got to. I mean, to one up you, they've got to make me cry <laughs> twice at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, <laughs> you also can't retire from that D&D podcast when you're going to come back for a Blades campaign, right? <laughs> or one shot. Damn it. I'm on such a high note. That's a, that's a losing bargain for me. <laughs> can't. I really should not come back. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, like at, at any point, we, we would be super happy to have you back. This has been Me too. Fantastic. Me too. That was great. It was yeah. really awesome talking to you. Uh, before yeah. we do our wrap-up stuff, do you have anything you want to plug? Social media? Go for it. Uh, the Yes. Um, Twitter tomorrow, Feature Friday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to feature a new designer. Uh, not new, but a designer you should follow. Uh, so look out for that. Uh, Scum and Villainy. Strash. Yeah. Ashimovics and John Luff Little's amazing Pulp Space Adventure game. Uh, was announced today. It's coming out. Evil Hat is publishing it. It is all of your Firefly plus Cowboy Bebop plus Star Wars fantasies rolled into one game. Um, it's super good. It it might be the Monster Hearts to Blades Apocalypse World. Like it might Ooh. be like the good version of Blades in the Dark. Maybe uh, <laughs> it's like it's really good. It's really really good. Uh, so look out for that uh, this year coming out this year. Um, and there'll be more updates. Follow. Follow Strash and Evil Hat to find out stuff about that. Um, and uh, I already mentioned it, but uh, Allie, who's in chat tonight, she has an incredible Blades hat called Misbehaven, uh, yeah. with an apostrophe. The Prohibition era gangsters plus some light magic elements. Um, if you are a Blades fan and you want to try something new that is not Duskwall, but is also like gritty criminal ghosty stuff. Um, Definitely. Look. She has a Patreon. You can go to her Patreon. Um, I don't know if I, it might be Mad Perot. It might be Ali Bustion. I forget exactly where it is. I'm sorry. I don't have it up right now, but you can find it. Misbehaven. Patreon. Okay. Um, we can throw a link in chat. Yeah, yeah. Throw a link in the or, description. Uh, description. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Do that. Uh, it's, it is so good and it's in development now and go play it. It's fantastic. Oh. Mad Perot. We just, Mad Piro, we yes. We just got, yes. The, got the link posted. Uh, there it is. Patreon.com slash Mad Piro. M-A-D P-I-E-R-R-O-T. Yeah. It's super good. Thank you, Quantum Dot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Mikey's on top of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, once again, thank you for, for coming. Uh, thanks, Andrew yeah. and Zach, for showing up. Uh, oh, this was I was yeah. this was a pleasure. I'm real um, happy I came. Thank you to everybody at home who um, you know tuned in. Uh, we'll be putting this out on YouTube. Uh, if you're watching it live, uh, I posted a link in the chat earlier for a giveaway for the Blades in the Dark uh, rulebook PDFs that will end tomorrow at midnight. So get that entry in. And while you're here, uh, mark your calendars for next Friday, where we're interviewing Jerry Holkins from Penny Arcade, Acquisitions Incorporated, C-Team, and several other things. And uh, way, the... way less cool than John, let's be real. And on yeah. the... I mean, yeah, he's just Jerry Holkins. What's the big that's, deal? That's a seven to nine interview at best. <laughs> <laughs> 
And on the 21st, Jesus, Zach, uh, on the 21st, we are interviewing Adam Kobol, who is uh, known for having cool hair and also makes games or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not really. He's known for having hair on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm going to end the stream and push the buttons. And thank you, everybody. Y'all are, I mean, everybody's fantastic. Can everybody?